This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Scott. Hi, I'm Misa. I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Will. And we're going to talk about Anarchaos by Kurt Clark, a.k.a. Donald E. Westlake. Uh, is he my favorite writer? I don't know. He's pretty, he's way <laughs> up there. I really love him. Um, this you've is been f- talking about him ever, ever since I've met you. You've been <laughs> talking about Westlake. Yeah. Westlake uh, and um, Block. What, Lawrence. Lawrence Block, yeah. Yeah, Lawrence Block, right. That's, uh, I found Westlake through Block. Uh, mm-hmm. And I found Block at random. Uh, this was first published in a uh, 1967 Ace, uh, very slim volume. Scott, I uh, saw your video. You you were mm. fl- uh, holding it up. Uh, it's like I'm holding my fingers apart. It's less than a finger thick, right? Yes. Yeah, it's very th- a very slim volume, and uh, I can't remember if I, I think I probably got the audiobook first. Um, and now Paul's going to have a little reaction here. <laughs> the audiobook Uh-oh. is much abridged. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. When you told me about that, I, I, I was spitting mad. Not at you, just spitting at, at the idea. Like, why would you abridge a short book even further? I don't get it. That was the time. Why? 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 That's what mm-hmm. they did back then. Uh, this. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember. I remember abridging regular books. The whole Reader Digest condensed book crap. Yeah. Like. Why the hell did you ever do that for? Hey, my my grandpa only read those. He had like volumes of them. Uh, I had one volume. Readers Digest, uh, uh, those condensed books. Mm -hmm. Just we couldn't give them away. Well, they're kind of like the Columbia House too. Once you get started, I think they don't want to stop sending them to you. Or or the science fiction book club. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I I listened to um, your your uh, podcast this week, Scott, about the, your origins of your, um, Oh book. yeah. The YouTube. Uh, yeah. And, oh, wow. and, and yeah. you talked, you talked about our British books. And I was like, Oh, that sounds horrible. Crap. And then, <laughs> and then <laughs> we, I was listening to this and, and, and like, I didn't, I didn't realize it was a bridge till I read it. And, and all of a sudden it was like night and day. Yeah. So oh, yeah. different. Yeah. So often that, that was the case. The yeah. thing is, is this doesn't yeah, like all this, the anarchist stuff is actually not yeah. in the audiobook. So let, let's talk about how abridged it is. So I I sat down and read it. Um, you know the the uh, the CBR the C the PDF, um, and I was listening at the same time to see how I've read this both in paperback and audiobook before. Um, so I was fairly familiar with it, but I, it's striking to me how vast a difference it is it doesn't even start with the first paragraph of the story it skips down i think three paragraphs and then it reads that whole one and then you know basically uh it's about 70 percent of the book is cut out um now a lot of that is characterization um but as evan was saying the anarchist the list of anarchist writers um a lot of the and the history of actually yeah. how it went from being a mm-hmm. more kind of experiment in anarchism to what it becomes. And I, I think that's that a was very, my initial response. Is like this is 
really bad anarchism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's because he's you know all the all the interesting stuff is sort of cut on the cut out to get it into the into two cassettes essentially, because um, this was released as a four cassette audiobook with two of the cassettes being I, I'm going from memory here. Uh, two of the cassettes being uh, Anarchaos, and the other two being other short stories from a collection called Tomorrow's Crimes, which is the second printing of Anarchaos. Um, the first one, um, if I'm remembering this right, uh, the 67, came slightly after uh, Westlake, or around the time Westlake quit science fiction, and mm-hmm. he basically lost money on it. Um, he demanded that they print his novel, that they were... Uh, they had bought, and uh, n- you notice it's very thin. It it could have been half of an ace double, um, but he he wanted people to read it, um, and so it didn't it didn't sell well. Um, and he went on to greener pastures, but uh, there he's a super interesting guy. There's a book. Um, it's actually on archive.org. It isn't public domain, so. Although uh, I don't think Chuck Wendig is a very good person. <laughs> I think uh, his uh, – you might want to go grab it before it's gone. This, it's a very strange book called Under an English Heaven. Um, it is about the British invasion of Angola. Um, and it's, it's basically one of uh, Westlake's only non, non-fiction books. It's a nonfiction history oh. of this little thing. And you can, like, he's a really, you don't think of him as a political go- guy if you read most of his stuff because it's crime comedy mostly, or just crime. Um, and it's not detective fiction. He's just a weird writer in a certain respect. He doesn't fit genre conventions. But he's definitely, if you read this unabridged, or you read. You know some of his peripheral writings. You can see that he does have like thoughts in his head. It's not all about characterization and and crime. Are you, is everyone familiar with um, how he left science fiction or why he did so? No. Tell us, Scott. Okay, so he um, he published a I don't know a diatribe yep. or <laughs> a polemic. I guess you could call it. He was he was furious um, and he wrote. Uh, a thing in a fanzine called uh, Zero, X-E-R-O. And in it, he basically said, you know, I've sold a bunch of stories. And, um, he, and, and in that, actually, he says, I've got part of it in front of me. In a desk drawer, I have a 20-odd thousand words of a science fiction novel, which is good, but which I'm not going to finish because it isn't worth my while. And the conjecture is that that is this one. Hmm. And our because <laughs> it came out after this. But he he is basically saying he was basically saying um, uh, I'll just read this short paragraph. I'm not sitting around bragging. I'm simply trying to make something clear. I can write. I can write well. I'm capable of first class work. But the only thing I've ever written in science fiction that I am at all proud of is a novel I'll never finish. This one, because there is economically, stylistically, and philosophically no place for it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I cannot sell good science fiction. Underline, underline. <laughs> wow. So he, and then he just had a diatribe against John W. Campbell. <laughs> um, he, he was basically saying, you know, the, the, the people that are in control of publishing uh, are not publishing good science fiction and it's driving him crazy and that's why he left. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
then he, he went to crime and, and made plenty of money, I and, imagine. <laughs> yeah, uh, he definitely made a living, um, uh, yeah. and a good living. He lived in New York. He's definitely good Manhattan. at it. I mean, science fiction's loss was crime's gain. In that, in that same note, he described sending a story to John W. Campbell, and as a joke, because he, he lived with someone who was also a science fiction author that was um, also write, trying to write for Analog Magazine. And um, he put a character in it that was just like John W. Campbell as a joke, just this little <laughs> side bit character. And then John W. Campbell sent it back and said, you know, if you rewrote this with this person as the main character, I'll buy it. <laughs> so Westlake did it. He, he rewrote it and he said it was 450 bucks. You know, he said, I'll take okay, it. You I'm going to look that one up. And he right wrote now. a horrible story with the John W. Campbell person as the, the main character. And uh, took his money and, and moved on. But that kind of stuff is what he wrote about in this diatribe. Yeah. The, the economics of uh, writing science fiction don't make a lot of sense in the past. And they don't or make now. a lot of sense today. <laughs> yeah, or now. It's it's so depressing. <laughs> you know, before all the COVID stuff happened, mm-hmm. I remember noting in the previous year, um, I would see science fiction authors say, hey, I've started a... GoFundMe or a oh or or something, you know, so that I can write this new novel and stay afloat. I'm just like, really, you know, uh, you're one of the most popular science fiction writers that I can think of. I'm thinking of one particular person, and you're doing a, um, you know, a, a Kickstarter or something mm-hmm. to make ends meet. That's crazy. I just yeah. don't understand it. Yeah, horrible. Very very sad. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, it's hard to um, get a handle maybe on how good this book is, uh, except subjectively. So I've read this before. Obviously, I thought it was worth reading again. Um, who else had read this previously? Probably nobody. I had not. No. 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 Okay. So subjective Don't reactions. Um, now, now, I mean, I was starting to listen to it, then you – mentioned was a bridge and that that sort of put together for me well why is this not quite working for me as much as i wanted to and now i realize because there's wraps of stuff there missing from the novel and i think it cuts out now i'm looking at this text that uh, you've provided it cuts out the heart of the novel in terms of the character and what they're doing not only just the anarchy and the philosophical but just who this guy is and what they're doing it I mean, the bridge version kind of pairs it down to just action, 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 mm-hmm. action. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. that's really unsatisfying. Which is not good science fiction, right? It's not, <laughs> good, science, it's not good science fiction. <laughs> it's exactly fiction. It's, would drive him crazy. It's unfair, to, it's unfair to Westlake's reputation, his book, and his talent that we're left with this, uh, this butchery. Well, I got to tell you, the butchery is very surgical in this case because – that was the format back then. This is actually a Agreed, very yeah. good abridgment. <laughs> yeah, you may was, not you know, feel when, like when, it. Um, I remember, uh, you know, Stefan Rudnicki, we, when we first started to talk to him, he, he used to be an abridger, mm-hmm. right? He would write really? an abridgment. Yeah. I did not know that. And it's, and, it's uh, a hard job, man. I, it's I, not, I've never uh, done yeah, it, but I can see how difficult so it would, is. He would uh, take a novel and abridge it. And, you know, obviously there were a lot of decisions being made. <laughs> Um, but yeah, trying to make it make sense in abridgment. Um, and the more I remember, more you have um, to cut out, the harder the job becomes. Yeah, so uh, yeah. in this case, like you think, 
it's actually relatively easy because there's only a few characters, right? Only a few, like, there's a central character, and then there's sort of scenes with other characters, and then we come back to a few characters that we meet earlier on. But in anytime you you cut out a scene early, you have to see if that's going to pay off later. And a lot of our job, Scott's and my job back then, <laughs> it is trying to trying to understand when you're listening to an, a two cassette abridgment of a what should be a ten or twelve cassette book. Uh, basically, you just like say, okay, this guy just gave up, mm. like. Like a lot of the Star Trek uh, novel abridgments, I felt like they're just fucking terrible. Like you can't yeah. even tell a what's going them, on. A lot of them were excellent, um, but you're right. A lot of it's them just made no sense. Highly s- skill dependent. Like you sort of have mm-hmm. to have read the book and know what part. It's it's almost like you're rewriting the book because you have to take stuff so much out and leave some core stuff that will you know, connect the beginning and the end with maybe some of the more important scenes in the mm-hmm. book. Uh, so the fact that this works at all as an audiobook, I think is very impressive because even though it is a very slim volume, two and a half hours is not what it needs. It needs at least four, maybe five hours to get the full book. And there's a lot, Westlake doesn't waste words. I, I, you, uh, I think, I think I mentioned before that, in a, in, a, in a previous podcast, he uses almost like ammunition very carefully yes. and parsimoniously. Yeah, there's the word I was thinking. He's parsimoniously. Skillfully. He's he's very skillful with his his placement. So uh, one of the things that gets cut out in this book is uh, <laughs> sort of one of Les, Westlake's trademarks is the movement of hands. <laughs> like he he built a bridge with his hands, <laughs> or he folded. He he waved his his hand right so you can actually it's it's instead of you know there was a smile on his face or a, he didn't like that you could tell by the frown on his face he just does it all with hands i didn't notice it, it's 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 cut out of the um of the audiobook basically but um once you start noticing it you'll see it basically that's that's almost the whole tell that the only thing that really shows you that Westlake is also Richard Stark is the hands <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the, <laughs> the only thing that connect, like the writing is good and clear in both but uh he doesn't have sort of like stylistic tells other than um it's very smooth and uh well told and us- usually very well told and um and he's a f- fast writer, right? Too, you could sort of see that he doesn't a- agonize over this because he is trying to make a living. Um, so, I, I just think that's funny. But I think the story I found uh, that Scott you were mentioning was sold to uh, Astounding or uh, Analog. Uh, it's called Man of Action. I don't think I've read it. I'll dig it out. Mm. Uh, it's published in December 1960 of Analog. You're talking about the story that he rewrote? Yeah, the one that he re- rewrote uh, to yeah. make gotcha. uh, Campbell the main character. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if, actually, it's, um, just, uh, it's funny. Uh, earlier this week, I did a podcast or tried to do a podcast on a Westlake story. Um, actually, his first. Um, I was thinking about sending this as sort of supplementary homework, but I didn't get around to it. And maybe mm-hmm. Maybe because it's frustrating me. In any case, um, it's a very funny story, considering it's his first. 
Um, it's called uh, Or Give Me Death. It's pu- first published in Universe SF, uh, November 1954. It's his first professional sale that gets published. Um, he had a couple things in his local, uh, maybe high school newspaper sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, or yearbook, I think it was. In any case, this is a very strange story. It's about um, Patrick Henry. Uh, you all know who I'm talking about. Micey, you probably don't because you Mm-mm. didn't grow up in the States. <laughs> Give, give me liberty or give me death. Yes. Indeed. And that's right in the ah, title, okay. or give me death. So the premise of this silly story is that uh, Patrick Henry didn't die in 1799, but rather um, uh, somebody upstairs in the afterworld uh, uh, took him seriously. <laughs> 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 so it's called, or give me, uh, give me liberty or give me death, and uh, he couldn't die. Um, so he oh. he as long as the United States remains free he he stays alive is the idea so he's like two hundred and seventy years old <laughs> the start of the story and he goes to a it's actually it's a got a frame around it the story um, and it starts with an editor <laughs> getting pitched uh, a it's probably a newspaper editor it doesn't say uh, getting pitched the idea that. Uh, Patrick uh, Patrick Henry was was still alive until late last night, um, and uh, the editor's like, ah, that's bullshit. Go sell your shit somewhere else. And he says, no, three psychiatrists will show that I'm not insane. And in fact, uh, you, this is very important. And the joke of this story is that um, Patrick Henry has been getting sicker and sicker for hundreds of years. <laughs> Um, and in 1823, he almost died. Um, and then whenever this story is set, which is probably November, 1954, um, uh, I'll just read the last couple of lines here. It's pretty funny. Um, uh, then what do you want? Asked the editor, just an obituary notice. No, no, no. Said Lambert impatiently. Didn't I tell you that Patrick Henry received liberty instead of death? That until all liberty was gone from the United States, he could not die? What are you trying to say? asked the editor. That at 8-7 last night, we lost the last of our liberties. I don't know what it was about, what happened, anything about it. All I know is that this, no, this, that this is no longer a free nation. Now that's enough, said the editor. There, I can check you up. I run a paper here, and I put it in anything I... I put in it anything I want to put in it. I say whatever I feel like saying. If I couldn't, then this wouldn't be a free country. But I can. So your Patrick Henry story is a lot of the door opened and two men walked in. <laughs> it's a it's a highly political story. I think I read yeah. it I think after a podcast. I, I was going through the PDFs oh, looking yeah. it's for on Donald Wesley. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, there was a lot of them there. I think I did. Yeah, it's it's. I think the shortest as well. It's like four or five pages. Yeah, it's a good place to start. Um, it makes a point. It really does make a point. Um, and uh, what's funny is if you read the whole story, the sort of going through what what Patrick Henry. I didn't realize. I didn't know that much about him because we don't get taught about him in school up here, right? Um, I'd heard the name and I knew him from uh, from Heinlein, who wrote a famous essay. Uh, in the favor. heirs of Patrick Henry. Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, it was, who are not, the heirs of Patrick? Henry? Yes, who are the heirs of ha- Patrick Henry? Uh, which was basically him 
saying we need to keep doing above ground nuclear testing. <laughs> yeah, I, I read that years ago. I mean, one of the first timelines I read after I tried to read Time Enough for Love, I was ten and not understanding was expanded universe, and that was one of the essay stories. So his in other there. writings, was, yeah. Yeah, I remember reading it. I was like, really? I, I mean, I was 12 years old. I'm thinking, really? Wow. So uh, the way um, Eric described Patrick Henry it makes a lot more sense the way the story plays out, the story uh, or give me death. Basically, Patrick Henry is what we would now call today a libertarian. Um, his philosophy is kind of weird because, you know, he's he's a founding father, but he he didn't frame the Constitution. He was uh, not a fan of the Constitution, but he was a fan of the Bill of Rights. He was a slaveholder, uh, you know, as everybody was back then, I guess. Everybody was anybody. Except for the slaves. Yeah, no, well, yeah. <laughs> not, you know, founding well, fathers, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in any case, um, just the fact that right from the jump, Westlake is dealing with politics in his SF, I think is, he's right. This is a good book. And our chaos is a good book, especially if you're not listening to the abridged version, but rather mm-hmm. reading the the very slim volume that is the full text, because uh, it's. I think he's fudging a little bit on what anarchism is, but he's also writing a story, uh, and he's. It's. I was thinking about like this is actually kind of another version of Call of the Wild. <laughs> How so? <laughs> With our main character being Buck, right? <laughs> he thinks he's the toughest dog around. <laughs> he was the king of California, right? And then he gets kidnapped, uh, turned into a slave, has various people, like, uh, remember the, the very kindly uh, uh, prospector with the, with the snow cabin off in the woods, or uh, I don't know, up in the north or over the, over the horizon, whatever it is. On the other side of the planet. Yeah, on the other side of the planet, in the uninhabitable zone, right? Um, he's basically John Thornton. <laughs> the, I guess the most memorable main character in... Uh, a memorable human character in The Call of the Wild by Jack London. But there's also a character in uh, Call of the Wild who has an analogous figure here. That's He has no name in Call of the Wild. He's called The Man in the Red Sweater who beats the shit out of Buck over and over and over again until Buck understands that men are dangerous and that dogs are subservient to men. And then the trans- it's kind of this transformation, right, from oh, what, you know, the king of the dogs, which is essentially king of the slaves, you guys probably don't know Call of the Wild as well as I do. It's one of my. It's been a while books. since I've read it. I did not see the recent movie, so. No, nah, I didn't. You can't really adapt it into film. I don't uh, even an animated. The movie film. was terrible. I'm, I'm not surprised. Was it? Oh, was it? Did you see, yeah, see it? Yeah, I saw it. And it wasn't animated. It was no Harrison Ford live and in person. But yeah, it sure was. Buck doesn't <laughs> <talk>. animated was <laughs> was uh, Red Fang, though. The dogs. That's the other one. Animated. The opposite one. Oh, the dogs were animated. There was an animated oh, yeah. white There's... thing, yeah. yeah. The but... mother is red. Yeah. In, <laughs> in, in any case, you can't really adapt it because Buck doesn't talk. He doesn't, he doesn't think in words, right? The very first line of the story is, Buck did not read the newspapers, which is very funny. Because, <laughs> <laughs> of course, he doesn't. He's a dog. 
Um, I, I the used to be, on the newspaper. I used to be able to, uh, with students, I could like read the whole chapter f- while they're reading it um, without looking at the paper. <laughs> you know, like uh, I say, <laughs> I say, you read the first paragraph, I'll read the second paragraph. And I just had it memorized, <laughs> right? Um, in any case, what's so funny is it's a it's a journey from a from a certain kind of slavery where he's the house slave. He's 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 allowed in the house and outside, whereas all the other dogs are either outside dogs or inside dogs. He can roam freely between them. He's the top dog. And then he's kidnapped uh, for reasons he doesn't understand, uh, taken out of his his uh, home, put on a series of trains, has the shit beat in and out of him, and he goes up to the Yukon and does some mining. Uh, and then... Or, Slave, and he has various masters, some who are positive, some who are negative, mostly negative. And then he finds one he thinks is is good, um, and then he can't even rely on him. And then he becomes uh, what his true nature is, perhaps, or part of his true nature, uh, a wolf. And it's it's it's, very, it's a really amazing story. We've kind of got that here, except of course the man is a man. But he's. I, what I love about this book is, pretty early on, we don't know what's motivating uh, Rolf, Mo, Rolf Malone, um, and then he he basically murders a dude. That was that was so yeah. shocking when he did that. Right. It it was like my own, my somebody just grabbed my own neck. I was like, what just happened? Yeah, it's like like what? He's dead. What? Yeah. <laughs> And he doesn't think about it at all, right? He's our main character is a fucking murderer, a fucking evil murderer, and yet we're I mean, having we to spend my all our time with him. I mean, we know he was in prison, but it's like, wow, is he stone cold? It's like, I that that was that was his real I, I, reason for coming to the planet is not what he says it is, even to himself, right? He wants to be on a planet where he can do what he wants to do, which is kill people, basically. And and I think some of that is lost in this abridgment. Oh, I, sure. I mean, the abridgment, the, the abridgment kind of suggests that he's coming to this planet mainly be, to find to a get a job and b uh, hang out with his brother. Or where where whereas yeah, the unabridged version makes it clear that yeah, he's much more interested in the society than. Than the version we listen to actually indicates, and then uh, think about but how the ending the works out, right? See, make... He he kills what dozens and dozens of people. And he's trying to kill the colony. He wants to kill a whole planet, right? Because the premise is he's told over and over again: the colony killed your brother, <laughs> so he's going to get revenge. He's going to kill the whole colony, and. Uh, I kind of have some sympathy for it because it's not a good place, right? It's like Libya no. right now, where every, there's slave markets and <laughs> or or or, or 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 the Horn of Africa, where you don't have a full nation sure. state and you just have warlords and warlords and petty uh, tyrants. I, yeah. We know we know yeah. a lot less about that at the moment, but probably yeah. it's it's bad there. I, yeah, I and was... he, he. Oops, sorry. Go ahead, Misa. Oh, okay. I, I was thinking about this, like in terms of, you know, anarchy and 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 would people be like this? And then I, I'd really, you know, they wouldn't. There, I mean, we'd be in a different society. Yeah. But I was thinking, 
if a world starts out this way, it will continue. Like Newton's first law, right? Like it's gonna, it's going that way. You can't change it until it's changed by a, an external force. Mm -hmm. And Malone was the external force. The, you know, it's the only way. With that one strangling hand, right? <laughs> that one strangling hand. Yeah. Well, sometimes societies are. I'm not now. I'm thinking of Niven, and um, you've read the story Cloak of Anarchy, right? Uh, I think you mentioned it on the podcast. You have to remind me what the okay. What so Cloak of, Cloak of Anarchy. It's it's set in the future, and 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 someone develops a technology basically to knock out all the security bots in an area, and the guy said, "So oh, now we can have now we can have a libertarian anarchy here," and. It lasts about five minutes before people start acting badly and start making gangs and whatnot. And and the main character slowly gets a disillusioned of the ideals of his libertarianism as he realized that libertarianism is very unstable and will come come apart with just one little one push. Mm. It yeah, just turn it turn into. Let's talk about this structure a little bit. This mm -hmm. is uh, the structure of the society. This is not in the abridged version. I don't think so. No, it's I not. would have remembered it. That where we see about the origins of this colony. This is chapter four. On Earth in the 19th century, O.T., an obscure Russian nihilist named Michael Bakunin. <laughs> uh, he's not a nihilist. He's an anarchist. Yeah, he's an anarchist. Not French, uh, called the state and God, God and the state, mm -hmm. uh, in which such things, such a oh, such things, such as our first works must be the annihilation of everything as it now exists, and he gets the rest of the quote. Um, God, family, all that. The thing about Bakunin is he's a he's an he's an insurrectionary anarchist, right? He was in like the revolutions of 1848. He was going all over Europe, involved in these different kind of uprisings. He's not the kind of person you'd base a society on. <laughs> I think if you were an anarchist, um, but here we get he's resurrected by the founders of Anarchaos. Now. Now, Kropotkin's mentioned later. Now, if I were to create a, like a political foundation for a, a like an intellectual foundation for an anarchist society, I think I would go. I wouldn't have to think long before I would come to like someone like Kropotkin, who is he's he, you know he's for direct action and struggle against capital and the state and all that too. But he's much more about like how you how cooperative systems can exist, right? And how like technology creates post scarcity, and that can be like the material foundations. He, you know, he wrote a whole book called *The Conquest of Bread*, which mm -hmm. is kind of a lot about technology and and production and things like that. So I don't know. That, that kind of strikes me as a bit weird about this. But anyways, they create this colony, right? And then it does change. So there is a transformation to what it's become. So it seems there was sort of a golden age of anarchy mm -hmm. before. It was an anarchist what utopia. Are, what happened were, it seems, corporations came. That was my initial, what struck me when I was listening to the audiobook. Is it's like, you know, for an anarchist society, there's a lot of corporate power. Mm -hmm. Right? But, but and, how, hands that, off, though. Yeah. But that, that's kind of anarcho-capitalism. That's what I was thinking when I listened to the audiobook. Uh, it's a better model for that. And that's what got me thinking about, like, the slavery and money stuff. There was a lot of, in the audio version mm -hmm. about slavery, mm -hmm. a lot about money. And I, I made this post on, on Twitter 
I just don't see how I can't think of any historical examples where like slavery exists without a state because you need states to define what slavery is hmm. to defi- define the relations between human the material and property relations between humans even marriage without states I'm not sure that existed <laughs> well, um, well what is a state so, though is and, the question money right? the same way so uh, is but, is yeah, this planet a state different but there's got to be some sort of I think I think you have to you have to think of What's what's really interesting is there's a, a meta element, and this is why it's so tragic that that Westlake couldn't find work as a SF writer, because this is actually a whole series of novels where he goes from planet to planet, uh, investigating. They're mentioned other pl- like cocaine. I spent a lot of time thinking about cocaine, the planet uh, that's barely mentioned in the abridgment. Um, where there's lots of pretty girls and life is easy, right? <laughs> uh, I think there's something about the food there. Um, and uh, at the beginning, we get sort of a, a bit of an info dump ab- about how how Anarchaos is different. You have to think of the planet Anarchaos as not in a nation state unto itself, but rather kind of like a, a prison planet. Mm-hmm. I, but a prison planet where the natives can't leave, and uh, it's or or another way to look at it would be like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. This is the reservation, um, except where the state outside the UC is actually interfering with the running. Like who who is the immigration official for this planet? They just let anybody come. And so who actually comes in the story? Well, three people. One is a very, very unwise uh, uh, priest, right? Looking to get some converts. Big mistake. (laughs) Um, Because for him. Um, And then there's a... uh, I I was thinking about... This is almost like Dracula, if you remember. um, Who's the main character in Dracula? The... Guy starts us off. Harker, Jonathan okay. Harker. Jonathan Harker. He's sent to uh, Transylvania to do some real estate deal, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, or if you've read or seen uh, the Black, um, uh, there's a uh, a movie out of the UK that they remade, The Woman in Black, where there's this lawyer who's sent off to do a real estate deal with somebody in the countryside, and um, basically it's the 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 company want to try and get rid of somebody. <laughs> they send somebody off to do business with basically a vampire, or in the case of the woman in black, a ghost, um, in order to get rid of them. It's like being assigned to Alaska, right? So this guy, he's being sent to try and repossess a computer on a planet <laughs> where anybody can steal anything, and the only thing that can stop you is violence, right? Um, so it's he's being sent to be killed, basically. And then we've got a killer... Who's saying this? These are my people. He thinks, um, but what he doesn't realize is that the corporations actually run this planet, right? Mm-hmm. So this planet yeah, it's, it's, is not a separate nation. Rather, it is a. It's like an economic shit zone where anything can go down. Is what I'm thinking, um, and and so yeah, it's stated directly in the full text. At that point, the offworlders moved in. The syndicates. Founded by the first colonists, these are the anarcho syndicalists. Mm-hmm. 
things. Uh, founded by the first colonists were quietly and unofficially taken over by foreign corporations. And soon the economic, if not the political structure of anarchaos was in the hands of profit seekers. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, w- that explains w- it. It's almost like his philosophy okay. here is that uh, anarchism sounds really great. Here's the problem. Um, it's going to get co-opted by other systems. And the most rapacious of those will be corporations, especially given that they have no restri- restrictions, right? There's no censure on uh, on this planet to, you know, there's no uh, government that can hold them accountable, corporations accountable. And if you think about how the slave trade worked in, in uh, you know, across the Atlantic, um, who's doing the slave trading? Well, the governments, right? And and the pirates are sometimes uh, guys who say I could make a lot more money if I went independent, <laughs> and then the government's trying to control the drug trade or in this case the slave trade for themselves. So they go after the pirates who are eating into their slavery business. But meanwhile, who's uh, who's protecting the the people of Africa who are being exported? Nobody. Well, that's Nobody. that's a complicated question, Jesse. So. Um, once, yeah, of course, you had some states in West Africa, and you had mm-hmm. some areas that were more stateless, and you had kind of tribal governments or whatever. But the state, the the polities, I use that PC term, the polities that engaged that that became the slave traders, right? They tended to form much stronger states, partially because what they got for slaves were things like guns, and you know, and they through trade with the West, right? Mm-hmm. And but even the question of like who's a slave in in a West African society required some kind of state structure because you had to say is it a prisoner of war that's the easiest one maybe mm-hmm. but a criminal right if someone sells themselves to pay a debt or something mm-hmm. that's you know that's all defined by some kind of structure so we actually see state making taking place in West Africa right now who's defending the people well the slave trade slave trading states didn't export their own people they right. were defending their people generally from the slave trade yeah except the people who yeah sold like got to debt or mm-hmm. you know became a criminal that's the one thing you saw in, in some of these states was a lot more laws that led to people being slaves yep <laughs> it was profitable to do that and it happens in the states too if you want to make slaves today what do like, you do you send send make the laws stricter so you get a bigger criminal population so you can put them in prison and use them for slave labor. It's it, here's why I sort of disagree with the way it's structured here. I, or the way it's described in this opening passage, uh, these opening theoretical political theory that's behind this is I think this only works if the corporations essentially are functioning as states. Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. They're, so that line like, Oh, not the political, definitely the political They're They're also controlling the political reality. And for them, Having slavery is totally beneficial to extracting the resources from anarchaos. Yeah, the, the, the corporations are the state. That kind of reminds me of I don't know if any of you have read Martha Wells's Murderbot novellas. Mm-hmm. They're modern. In, 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 they're the mo- they're modern and new. And in 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 that future, I mean, we have sentient AIs which are being which are basically slaves because they have controls to basically control them, but out. Outside of Earth, corporations basically run these planets and societies, and they run them 
to their own benefit and not to the benefit of not the benefit of any of the colonists or or the or entities like Murderbot or anything else. And so Murderbot is basically who basically in the first one hacks himself to make himself free. They're they're free. I should get their pronouns right. Basically is basically struggling against the slavery that this, these corporations have basically imposed upon them and others as part of their basically their rapacious because the governments don't have any control over what the corporations are doing. Mm-hmm. There's not there's not a lot of difference between a a big multinational corporation and a country. If you think about what it is like, a, uh, or I should say, a nation. Uh, a constitution, right? It tells about the relations you're supposed to have, how th- how laws are supposed to work, and how things is how the powers are distributed. Corporations do very much the same thing. It's it is a body, and it has arms, and it has uh, sort of a central processor, and uh, so it, we can get a little bit can confused as to what's going on but if if this was a completely cut off planet right that was never allowed immigration after a certain point i don't know how we would get into the story i guess maybe a starship crashes there right um it would not look like it it, 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 it i think it's supposed to be uh i mean it's also not in a certain sense it's supposed to be like a failed utopia right but then if you start thinking about how Westlake sort of cheats, one of the things he does is he names the star Hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but that's not in the abridgment. I, I think that's not in the No, it's in, it's in the abridgment. Yeah. It, this, you know, it is Hell, says the steward right in the beginning. Uh, is, it, is, it, is it true that their, their planet is called, are their stars called Hell? And he says, it is Hell. <laughs> Just like dropping <laughs> oh, it yeah, like okay. it's yeah. nothing. Right. Um. And then uh, we've got all these uh, these uh, the names of the cities. I was like, these sound really familiar, like Ulick and Ni, right? I was like, are these places in he- are these all places in hell? Uh, cities in hell? I couldn't I couldn't find evidence for that uh, in my casual searches. But if you look at the other names of the planets that are out there, there's Cocaine, which is an amazing story, you guys. Cocaine's uh, as a uh, middle ages sort of fantasy of of young monks <laughs> it's the funniest thing you've ever heard of um, and then uh, there's Valhalla right so these are all afterlife places right and all of them are supposed to be either a positive or a negative so he does tip the scales right calling the planet uh, Anarchaos calling the uh, the star hell, and also it's it's always the same time of day with the tidal the planet being tidally locked, right? And it ha- it's the only uh, planet in the solar system, right? It's it's designed to be like hell, and it actually, if you look at the temperature, right? I did the math on it, and it, I think one of the cities is twenty nine degrees Celsius. Um, that's hot, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And it never gets cooler because of the prevailing winds and the, you know, this, in fact, I'm not sure how the uh, the ecosystem on this planet can work at all. No, 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 because because um, it's 
it 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 doesn't. I mean, maybe I mean I can't fault Westlake for not having modern modern ideas of climatology and astrophysics. But yeah, but 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 a tidally locked planet like this, you you couldn't have that wide of a of a habitable zone just because of the differential between the hot side and cold side means there's ferocious winds, there's a ferocious temperature gradient. I'm thinking of the novel again, a modern novel. The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Andrews, which is on a title like Lodge Planet, but it's a really narrow, narrow place where you can, where humans can survive because the rest of the, hot, the planet is either going to be too hot or too cold, and, and going outside of that is death, whereas this planet, it seems there's a lot more habitability than, I think, physics and He, he uh, does a little bit of work on it, right? If you're farther away, if your angle is more oblique. You're cooler, especially. Yeah, but I, 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 I think he really softens the impact. But then again, but this given when well, I think it's a metaphor movie, though as well. The fact that it's always day, right? This, yes, it's mm-hmm. it's like a kind of punishment, and mm-hmm. and then when he finds out about this drug, uh, that can that can take away his responsibility, um, and then he can go back to the mine. Then he won't have to be responsible. Uh, it's it's really cool the psychology that we don't get to see until it comes out on the page, and then we can't trust it until I guess the end, right? We we can't trust what what he's saying or what he's doing because when the femme fatale comes to him and says, um, "I I wish you were a rich man," <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, and he says, yeah, "One well, of the things one of the things that feeds it. into what you're saying is mm-hmm. the idea of time itself." Yeah. Right. He he had no idea what time it was. Right. Well, how long? You know? How long? He said four like, months, six uh, months, maybe, you, you and need it's to four watch. years. Yeah. yeah. You need to watch so you agree with us as to what time it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The tyranny. The yeah. The tyranny of time on a planet where you don't have a day-night cycle to really mark it. That I mean, it's hell. Or or, or or just or just regular. Yeah, just regular patterns. I mean, that kind of reminds us of the age of the pandemic and people being stuck in their homes for days on end and not having the usual rituals of things that mark time and days kind of blend into each other. If you're just stuck in an apartment or house for weeks on end. Mm-hmm. There's there's uh, let's hear from Will. I haven't heard from Will in a while. I, I, I oh, think yeah. you should have some yeah, thoughts I about would... this book. Oh yeah. Well, I was just thinking about, um, you know, trying to locate this as like, uh, a science fiction novel or something else or uh, dealing with the science in it. But, um, you know, my main like thought about that is that uh, the, the like hard science isn't really what's like this novel is about at all. Right. 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 Like it's like, it's a, uh, it's a fantasy novel where we're like having an, like an anthropological, uh, you know, big thing about it's like soft science. Is like, yeah. Soft science. I, I'm really interested by like uh, this idea that the uh, like anarchist commune on uh, Anarchaos just like immediately gave up the ghost to like like big corporations after the first generation, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I just um, like it's an interesting thing. Um, and uh, well, you think about like. Um, like in real life, right? Like what happens in um, like uh, uh, Vietnam after they win the war and like are trying to construct socialism or like uh, what was like the Chinese path for like uh, constructing socialism that like, you know, actually like developed the country in any way. 
um, you know, uh, the uh, the worker state, like, uh, you know, welcomed, uh, you know, uh, investment back in. Mm-hmm. And I just like, uh, but like the politics, like you still have like communist parties governing these countries, like, you know, the extent that they're communist parties, that's like, you know, always going to be a debatable thing. Uh, but I, I just I wonder about um, uh, uh, like thinking about this as like how can like this like little socialist utopia like exist in this like big galaxy of like uh, giant corporations and like you know it seems like the answer is that it can't. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Anaris exists, but it has to be. It's basically it has to be isolated. I think yeah. When I purposely isolates Anaris, right? There's almost no. Con- Contact. It's like anarchist I mean, Uche. Yeah. What's Uche? Yeah. It's what's like that? the uh, it's the official philosophy of the like DPRK. Like, oh, okay. Just, it means self reliance. I mm-hmm, think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm sure, Evan knows. But Anaris works. Anaris sort of works. I mean, it's not a great. I mean, there's a lot of suffering and problems on Anaris, but as an anarchist society, it re- was able to reproduce itself and its ideas. Yeah, I mean. In, like what's interesting is that there's no like the uh the like capitalist society or like the kind of cold war society that it's like orbiting like you know isn't like interested in going up there and like extracting resources for some reason which seems like you know impossible this book also reminded me a lot of one that Misa, paul and will you are all on i wish evan was on it because uh I I don't think it was that political. Um, Scott, uh, you probably read The Green Odyssey by Philip Jose Farmer. Yeah, and that wasn't political at all. Well, I think it was just, it was very much more subtle than this, but it has a kind of similar structure. Like I was saying, uh, you could have a guy crash on this planet of Anarchaos and see it for what it was without the corporations. I think it would be a very different planet. Um, one of the things that's sort of tipped in this is almost in a Heinlein way is how polite everybody has to be to, or at least respectful of their s- physical space. You know, don't get in my face. Everybody's armed, right? The way yeah, the, the cab price, drivers. Yeah, the armed uh, society is a polite society. Right. It's, it's, it's kind of like Texas with no, I don't know, Lone Ranger, no Rangers or something like that, right? It's the idea. Um, but in the Green Odyssey, you've got a guy crash lands on a planet, and he's uh, turned into a slave. Um, it's more of a comedy than anything else. It's a else. comedy. It's very yeah. It, it, it's played for it's played, it's played in for terms humor of and laughs. Yeah. yeah. But he he again goes on a journey across the planet, and uh, there's a uh, a femme fatale who's a lot less fatale than than the, <laughs> the one we've no, got no, there. No, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and she's sympathetic because remember at the end he he thinks she's going to wind up running yeah. the planet by the time he gets back, ever gets back. So, it's yeah. very much you know the products of the authors, but they could be set in the same universe because um, except just in different time periods because a long time ago this planet had some sort of uh, in the Green Odyssey it had some sort of galactic relationship with the other planets, right? Um, it was kind of like Atlanta. Uh, an airport hub. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right, exactly. So it, it 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 had a relationship, and now it's reverted to sort of a medieval period in its history. Um, but the idea uh, uh, that I think 
one could miss also um, in spending so much time thinking about the politics is that this is a straight up what I call planetary romance. Exactly. That's what it is. Right? Um, it's just that in this case, um, it's sort of obscured by the fact that it's it's not a fun adventure planet <laughs> with cool creatures, right? The only creatures we really see are are the hair horses, and they're not very exciting, right? No, they're, they're, they're yeah. not very... They're, they're, not just, very... they're just animals. <laughs> and they're not that exotic. Um, all the all the excitement comes from the the sort of the intrigue between the corporations and the relations between people in the hovels that are all around and then the environment being hell right a mm. uh, hell on earth or literal hell on anarchaos um but uh, but it is it fits into this tradition you also see it in stuff like um Kirin Yaga by uh Mike Resnick Resnick Right, yeah. where you take a that—that's a book you should do, Evan, on your podcast. Even though it's not old, it's still—I mean, it's—I don't know—from the eighties. And, and sadly, Mike Resnick just passed away. By an American? Yeah, he is American. Yes. Um, and what's interesting? It's a short, short story fix-up novel, or it's a novel made from a bunch of short stories, and it's about a planet, uh, or actually, it's an asteroid or something um, that has been terraformed into ancient uh, Kenya and the Kikuyu people have gone there to live their traditional lifestyle um, and try and try to maintain it even as you know outside oh. pressures keep pressing yeah. on the and the Mungu Mugu the uh, witch doctor is he's both a witch doctor and he and he's also you know got access to the orbiting satellites to bring rains and stuff like that but you know, when kids get infected with uh, treatable modern diseases, he lets them die. And it's like the transmetropolitan reservations. Yes, I think that, was, that this is that one thing I'd like to see more of in that comic. Uh, and that's that's why I'm thinking that the reservation model of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World also fits here, right? Um, except instead of you know, in that story, we have a guy coming from the reservation. But, or 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 Coventry in the Heinlein future history too. I I don't remember Coventry. It, 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 it's it's later in his in his future history after the sec, after um the prophet gets gets overthrown. There's a there's a place for undesirables and people who mm. don't fit in society basically to live on their own, and it's called Coventry. And the the titular story is about a character who winds up in there and by getting himself out of it again finding himself a way to get back into society and become part of society right so uh, yeah that's uh, it's interesting that you bring that up paul because there's a, a blog called the west lake review mm-hmm. and their review of anarchaos has um he compares it to coventry ha! by robert no. a Hyman. yeah ha! in fact he, he goes as far as to say that west lake uh, responded to it with hmm. his wow yeah, Westlake was definitely reading SF. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't like independently uh he was interested in science fiction. He wasn't independently working on stuff and then trying to sell it. He was like a reader of the market. Right? He was reading the the science fiction. You can feel that. Um the the some of the other stuff that he wrote as SF like should be way better known. There's a story called Knackles. Uh, Scott, have you read Knackles? Really cool story. 
I haven't. Okay, it's it was an FNSF, I think. Yes. Um, so Mm -hmm. it's basically it's a urban legend kind of about the anti Santa Claus, and I know there's a kind of evil version of Santa Claus that some people on the internet. The Krampus, yeah. Yeah, they talk about Knuckles is way cooler. Okay, Knuckles, he he uh, he he has instead of uh, he lives he comes for you under the uh, Knuckles is the character. Uh, so, you know, you have the be good for goodness sake is what you say for the kids at Christmas, right? You better watch out, right? All that stuff. Basically, if you are naughty, Knuckles comes for you. And this is actually told from the perspective of a, a father who's basically being abusive to his kids. He, he was always telling us about Knuckles, right? <laughs> All the mean things that Knuckles would do to you. Put, he'd put you in the... He'd take you away. So he, it, it inverts everything about Santa Claus, right? Instead of bringing you gifts out of his big red bag, he brings a big black bag of emptiness and he puts you in it. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> little six-year-olds, right? It's a little dark. It's, it's super dark and it's super funny. Um, and... Is so he's he he's definitely able to work in other modes like fant, fant, uh, fantasy, but he's he's responding to the market tr- and not finding success. Even though, as you, you were reading, Scott, he knows that he's 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 achieved a certain level of mastery, right? He should mm-hmm. be able to sell this. It's a good piece of science science fiction. His objective sense of what science fiction looks like shows that this is good. Why can't he sell it? There's something. It's not me. It's you. <laughs> he's saying, and yeah. he he wasn't wrong, right? No, he's not. He's not wrong. Yeah. So uh, it's very very cool to think about what what this book is sort of an indicator of, mm. and. It, oh yeah, it is paired. With, I'm just looking at the Westlake review. He's even got the covers side by side there. You complain yeah. that our way of living is dull and unromantic, and imply we have deprived you of excitement of to which you feel entitled. You are free to hold and express your aesthetic opinion of your way of living, but you must not expect us to suit your tastes. You are free to seek danger and adventure if you wish. There is danger still in the experimental laboratories. There is hardship in the mountains of the moon and death in the jungles of Venus. But you are not free to expose us to the violence of your nature. Yeah, so that's from Coventry. And then there's another. Yeah, yeah and then from, at the very end there it says, you refuse treatment, therefore we withdraw our society from you. Right. We cast, cast you, you out, out, we divorce you, you, to Coventry with you. Right. I mean, spoiler, at the end of the story, he becomes sane again and we regain society after he realizes that Coventry isn't all that. Mm. But it's it's a it's a journey of discovery of of the main of the main char- of McKinnon and uh, and basically coming to terms with society and that yet that the 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 anarchy and lawlessness of Coventry is not what he wants either. That's right. interesting. It is similar. They are mm-hmm. similar. Then. Um, I've also got a really nice paragraph that Westlake wrote in an introduction to an anthology of crime fiction where he talks about society and individual and crime. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want to hear that. Yeah, I'll, please. So, yeah, really, okay. yeah. so it says, um, why is the element of crime so useful to the storyteller and such a magnet to the reader? I'd like to try to answer that by borrowing from the classical description of theater. 
one character on stage is a speech, two characters an argument, three characters drama. The variant I would propose begins with society. When you have only society, you have predictability and order, life in an anthill. When you have society and the individual, you have conflict, because the greater good of society is never exactly the same as the greater good of any one individual within it. When you have society and a crime, you have a rent in the fabric, a distortion away from predictability and order, but to no effect. It's merely disordered. When you have all three, society and the individual and a crime, you have all the multiple possibilities of drama plus all the multiple possibilities of free will, that is, life. Society and crime are in unending opposition, but the individual is in shifting relationship to the other two, depending on how this individual feels about this crime in this society. Well put. Mm. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, I, I want to, I keep coming back to thinking about, it's how I want to frame this story is, 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 uh, Brave New World's The Reservation. Remember John Savage? Um, his father turns out to be the director of hatcheries and conditioning. Right. 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 Because he had visited the reservation and had, uh, but why did he visit the reservation? Right. They were tourists, weren't they? They were tourists. They want tourists. to see these savages, yeah. right? And he leaves. He leaves uh, uh, the wife or girlfriend. I guess there was no wives. The girlfriend behind. <laughs> she doesn't have access to her birth control pills, and is like, give, gives birth, and she eventually comes back too. And she's a drug addict, right? There's a kind of um, similar relationship. And she basically got trapped there, basically, yeah, because she was part mm-hmm. of. The- the outside society too so it's like and she's not it, used I mean, to I, I, that savage lifestyle right but when she comes back she she is non-functional uh she we get a tiny she, little bit she of just this. wants soma yeah yeah we get a tiny little bit of this in uh in this book too when when he comes back from slavery and is given you know a nice food and a soft bed and new clothes and a shower right um what is what does he want when uh he gets kidnapped again to be drugged up and not be right so Mm -hmm. the way the corporations and the uc work corporations come in do whatever the fuck they want right they've got might makes right uh, they've got silver clad, uh, I, there's something going on with colors in this book, you know, how nothing is, n- no humans use red, red casts, uh, light over everything. Everything's tinged by the red light of hell. Um, <laughs> it's fun stuff to yeah. think about. And then the corporations having, uh, a single name like ice or sledge. Right. And then the, uh, it, it it's almost like it's, there's something like they're treating this as a Disneyland, uh, Shenzhen sort of special economic zone, um, where they can both send, uh, or Alaska for soldiers, right? They can send their troublemakers to get killed. (laughs) Um, they can also use it as a, as a, uh, free extraction zone, right? Who's going to manage the pollution, on this planet, nobody, right? 
So the cesspools uh, and the tailings from these mines have got to be infecting that sea that it gets thrown in at one point, right? Um, It's it's only 87-year-old planet, but... Yeah. It, it, that's where your animals went, Jesse. Yes, yeah, right. There's only working the envi- animals. Left. That's right. The env- <laughs> whatever native environment was there, right? There's no mention of uh, of uh, indigenous people on the planet, uh, which would be another probably make the book way longer. Um, so there. Uh, also, I don't think there's any mention of race at all. So this is nope. it's a very pure thing, and it it all goes back. I think to like uh, the state of nature sort of argument. This is a raw canvas for any humans to do whatever they want on. Yeah, sure, the planet has these restrictions with the being tidally locked and the star being this color, but it's habitable. And what do they make of it? Well, they make a uh, anarcho-syndicalist uh, utopia for about 15 minutes. <laughs> and then suddenly... <laughs> The next generation is uh, selling out these syndicates to big offshore corporations. And what do they do? They do what corporations do. They extract. Extract value from the planet. Extract value from the people. And there is no adjudicator here. There is no uh, you know, court system. So it, it, it's... I think... I mean, I don't think he's making a particular argument in the form of a book, but it's kind of like that in the sense that he's thinking about what uh, is a thoughtful person. He's thinking about what what anarchism is, and he says, in what circumstances could it work? And he thinks it won't, because it'll be taken over by something external. This is, uh, this is something I think about a lot, too, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if i really accept that though like that that premise i i i think a lot about like these how in the post-apocalyptic works mm-hmm. whenever like the state goes away you're back to slavery and rape and violence immediately and i never really yeah like the road comfortable right? with that yeah and i mean the road is just such a total <laughs> collapse of everything i think that's correct <laughs> you know it's yeah, it's like everybody, uh, but, everybody for yourself. But right? in the typical, like in the Walking Dead kind of thing, it's mm-hmm. like five minutes after the state's gone, we're back to. I mean, I don't even want to say back to because I don't think that's like the Paleolithic state of. No, humanity. neither do I. It's like yeah. a reje- I just reject this idea that like that's human nature. Yeah. Um, like greed, competitiveness. This comes out of our existence in certain societies that value like wealth or land or title or or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think I think one problem. Evan, I don't know. I, I didn't read the whole book. I just read the first half and listened to the audiobook. Mm-hmm. So I might be missing some. But you know, if if I go to you and I kidnap you and make you my slave, I mean, unless there's some formal recognition of that, I don't see how that holds. I mean, power only goes so far. I mean, individual power. Yeah, only works as strong as you are. There's no social movements. There's there's yeah, no. It's usually in a context on the power of yeah. It's in a context. So, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, think about native peoples around here. They don't have a nation state when prior to contact, right? What they do have is uh, alliances and tribal relations and bands and 
councils and they have a, a, a rich network with other groups of the same language and they also have relationships with the others and they have slavery but they it's not the same kind of slavery as we have in the states in the 1860s right or 1850s i guess um it's kind of much more like uh the kind of slavery that parents have to children or the relationship family has to family right you might work for your uncle <laughs> who's really rich and you're in this relationship because you've known this dude for a long time or you get married to somebody <laughs> essentially i mean it's it's really funny the relationship uh, between marriage and slavery each person puts on a ring right and he says i'm your slave and the other person says no i'm your slave Right. And then if the relationship doesn't sour, I disagree with that completely. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, it's a bond, right? It's kind of it's commitment, a bond, but it's a partnership. And you it's, exactly you have to be slavery. But see, you don't understand what I'm saying. Is it's more like that—the kind of slavery mm-hmm. that we see in societies that are not uh, nation states, like the United States, right? Yeah, it, or, or the Roman really Empire. Gets into this in his book. Debt, the first five thousand years, which I just reread, and I, I highly recommend it. Yes, you were uh, tweeting about book. it. I like it. Yeah, but that. So I've been, you know, he says a lot about like the relationship between slavery and money and states, and he does deal with the different types of slavery that existed. And yeah, it's like you're still part of a society. You're still part of. You still have a family, right? You still have a kin. You're not totally socially isolated so there's some limits on what can be done to you yeah in a lot of these but if you if you pick up some if you buy some people and take them across the atlantic that changes yeah no and and notice you yeah. also separate them from their other people their language you know you mix yeah. it up so that it's not it, it's 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 kind of it's much more like marriage and often it was kind of marriage right so you take you go to the neighboring community and you get some girls, right? The boys yeah. are looking for girls. And sometimes it's ritualized so that they kind of expect it and want it, or at least it's acceptable, right? Um, so the old idea, the caveman cartoon where you see a guy dragging a wife home behind him for, by her hair. And she's been conked on the head. Um, we kind of have this in a lot of marriage sort of stuff, right? The carrying over the threshold and it's... It, it it feels a lot less toxic to us today than thinking about uh, the color around the neck chained to the guy behind you kind of slavery. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a maybe that's a lot of you know sort of gender things. Women can be slaves, but not men. Right? Could be thought of that way. Um, but here, um, what's so interesting is. He's a bad dude. We don't find that out instantly, but he's a bad guy, and he was imprisoned. Um, and what do they do? They give him a passport and say, "Yeah, go wherever you want. You get, you get a uh, right." It's almost like Earth is behind this, this um, <laughs> exporting uh, their their troublemakers to these after afterworlds. Right? Well, maybe they chose their worst corporations. He chose maybe this, they expelled right? their worst corporations yeah. to anarchy. Well, right, but, but Earth is encouraging it. I mean, it's not as bad as say 
Has anyone read the Jerry Pornell co-dominium stories? We did. We did. We we did the uh, the second moat book, which is set in the same universe. Mm-hmm. But early in that in that in that world, I use the twenty first century. They meant they meant hyperdrive and the U.S. and the Soviet Union side. We're just going to export all the undesirables to other planets and let that happen. And one of the planets, Sparta, they just let the convicts run free, and they basically wind up building a society and eventually in an empire on that planet, they actually show that they can actually be constructive and actually build something out of the nothing they've been given. Uh-huh. But it's kind of like as policy, let's just get rid of everybody who causes trouble and earth will be Hello, nice and Australia. safe. Happy. <laughs> yes. Australia is definitely the model. Or the West. And, yeah, yeah, it works. And it works I, just I kind of, well. I kind of like this model. Uh, I think... I don't know if there's wild places. There's nowhere to like send people, though. We don't have a. We don't <laughs> well, have Mars I mean, they're, yet. They're, they're never truly like wild places to send people. Yeah, that's right. true. That's right. <laughs> like uh, you just like say, Elias, Canada's going to start sending oh, uh, oh, our, our people down to uh, the United States, where the, all the wild Jeff, ones are. Jesse, the, the medical land. Uh, also, yeah. they, they, we're, that's we're, right. We're, we're, oh, we're, the we're, yeah. yeah, yeah. They sent supplies. That's that right. Sounds really great for them. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, that's kind of a similar story too. They go there expecting one thing, and turns out it's completely different. Yes, yeah, it got taken over by a big mega corporation from another star. <laughs> another <laughs> time, aliens. Way, but yes, yeah, interesting. But I mean, I want to go back to. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, you know, uh, this like exporting of uh, like excess populations, just like. You know, a historical way that uh, societies resolve social crises, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, yeah, of course. It's not even like like that fantastic. No, the Greeks were doing it, right? With I their just, colonies. I just think, I'm just thinking of, of a. I guess I was thinking of a, an alternative to prisons. If we really feel we need to export certain people, certain antisocial people. Liberia. Indeed. Liberia. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the it was wall, used as, like Australia, in whatever. Right, like it's uh, it's an open air prison, uh, or escape from New York, or escape from New York. In fact, yeah. escape from New York is kind of uh, again a similar story where you've got a guy uh, going in. He's got a particular mission in mind, um, and he gets a little tour of the place. Uh, doesn't find it to his liking. <laughs> <laughs> um, how shocked were you all when? Because this is the first time you all read it, right? When Malone gets his hand cut off. Relatively early in the book, I, I kept thinking Empire Strikes Back for some reason. <laughs> I well, loved it. I, I, I kept. I was thinking sequence. Dark Tower with that, uh, like in the like the first page of Dark Tower Two. The gunslinger loses like three fingers on his. Oh hand. yeah, that's I forgot about that. And it's like, geez, how is this going to work? I think it's on his right hand too. Right. I, I was. I wasn't that shocked because he laid the groundwork for it. Unless it gets infected. So uh, it, was, it was, you know, coming. Yeah, but we didn't think it was going to get infected, right? I but don't know. I think it's kind of cool symbolically. He gets his brother's college ring back, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't go to college. He didn't. He was in prison. That was his college, and he puts it on his the ring finger of his left hand, right? Why did he do that? Why didn't he just put it in his pocket? Well, he's hanging on to it. Why is he hanging on to it? It's a symbol of his brother or whatever, right? Yeah. And what what does that do? It comes back to bite him. 
very shortly thereafter when he gets into he gets shot and then he wakes up with some guy chewing on his hand. <laughs> yeah, just trying to take it off. That that was really bizarre. That was more shocking to me that he was biting his finger off than when he took lost his hand. Yeah, and notice that the the very few the limited contact we have with the natives on this planet. Um they're kind of feral, but they're also uh their relationships are all um, uh, either you're a stranger to me and I found you in a ditch and you're my slave now, even if I treat you nice, like John Thornton uh, analog in this uh, that ca- backwater trapper's cabin in the yeah in the snow, right? Or mm-hmm. or uh, the only way to keep me from uh, enslaving you is you're my brother or you're my son, right? So the, there aren't like groups of of uh there aren't teams there aren't syndicates it seems like on this planet other than the corporations right and uh if if will was um wading hip deep through this this book looking for uh who is keeping the stuff like that <laughs> who's keeping these uh, slum dwellers as he pointed out in a past podcast um from being unionized, right, Get, coming together, um, what would what would what would that entail to you know overthrow, take over those those uh, ice and sledge buildings, right? I feel like that there's a lot more to say about this planet and the stuff that's going on, and we get it doubly abridged. In the first place, it's abridged by the audiobook, and the second place, it's abridged by the fact that. He he couldn't sell it, so he finishes it off, I guess, um, to his satisfaction. In it, he he knows it's good, but he's not going to finish it, so he finishes it off. He sells it, loses money on the sale, basically, um, and then says, "Fuck this shit! I'm I'm going away from science fiction. It, I I got skills. I can market them elsewhere." I, I, think I don't think I could have taken more of this book, Jesse. It's just <laughs> so heavy and dark. And, it's definitely and, heavy. And Oh, n- even the no planet light. is slightly... Remember, the gravity is slightly higher there. I don't think that's mentioned <sighs> in the audiobook, but it's mentioned in the... You know that, yeah, it was, a, it was a nice length um, um, for this. So, uh, yeah. the, uh, the, the gravity thing, like... The, uh, we've talked about how this is like uh, kind of in the canon of planetary romance, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, and like we've, we've given some examples, but I, I think that just everything about this is like a subversion of a traditional planetary romance, yes. which is like usually That's it's cutting like, his it, hand it's off is exactly a subversion. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, like the gravity is higher, so like usually if I like go live on another planet and I'm like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Confederate veteran, uh, the the <laughs> John gravity Carter. on that planet. Yeah, He says, "I felt weighted down, morose, lethargic, <laughs> like, yeah. just uh, you know, physic, uh, mentally and physically." Mm-hmm. It, it was actually ten, you know, part of it. I noticed the that group. there's no hierarchy in which he can marry into, right? <laughs> in fact, yeah. he does get tantalized with that at the end with the the colonel's secretary, right? Um, a, a princess of Anarchaos. <laughs> that's right. A princess of Anarchaos <laughs> is pretty funny. She's as close as you can get, which is she's basically a femme fatale. Yeah. 
Um, although she she's the one who gets fatalled, I guess. Well, she is, but he also, I mean, he says, at one point he says that the planet killed Gar, and he says, and, it, and also a woman, the woman who jilted mm. Fail. But it was also Jenna who... Um, who convinced his brother to keep a secret. So it was a woman killed, uh, the planet killed Gar and two women. Um, <laughs> so, you make a point. Mm-hmm. I do make a point. <laughs> I like, I like this book. I, I wish Westlake had written a lot more SF. Um, I can Ooh, console myself with the uh, non SF that he wrote, but um, it's, it's honestly, I'd much prefer to see his mind flex because he has a brain for science fiction. Um, it's it, it, it's proven in this story. I think it it isn't like it isn't like a masterwork of SF that everybody's going to be thinking about forever. But it does exactly what I wanted to do, which is give me a planetary romance exploring an idea. Right, it's even more. It's less exotic than a Princess of Mars, right? With with the lack of uh, you know exciting animals, and, uh, strange cultures, and wars, and weird ideas about ancient civilizations, all that stuff. It's much more stripped down. It's more. It's it's uh, it's basically a '60s uh, slim paperback, which I love to read. Those things are full of SF ideas. It, it does explore its stuff. It's just uh, in the abridgment and it being the only book, there isn't more to look forward to. The closest he comes outside of this book to a novel length uh, science fiction, uh, there's a couple. One is called Humans, which is a very late book, uh, I want to say the 90s, in which um, angels are real. <laughs> um, uh-huh. It's kind of a weird book. It's not his best. Um, he does a he he, I think was very experimental writer in that he would come up with a premise and then just write it and he would always sell whatever he wrote basically almost because mm-hmm. he wrote so much. Um, and there's one I think works even a, a little better. Uh, well, it's a good book. It's called Smoke, um, and it's about it's basically a retelling of the Invisible Man, but with a modern uh, Westlake protagonist. He's got a girlfriend and he accidentally ingests a or is given a a chemical formula that turns him invisible, and he just happens to be a burglar, so you would think that this would be <laughs> <laughs> handy, but it just causes him a lot of problems. And the same, it's kind of a retelling of H.G. Uh, Wells's uh, The Invisible Man, but as a comedy piece. Is uh, that in his own, under his own name? Yeah, under Westlake's name, yeah. It's, it's uh, probably in the 90s as well. But other than that, and other than the short SF that we we know he wrote before he exited the field, um, it's all basically crime books. And they are very philosophical. I think of, we, we did The Man with the Getaway Face, um, which I, I think is one of the best. Uh, it's the second book in a series. But they're all, those crime books can be very philosophical. Um, in that you say, like, what makes crime bad <laughs> and you see that in here right what makes crime bad that the government says it's bad well murder is legal on this planet in fact it's not called murder it's just called killing it's just something you do <laughs> right as well oh yeah 
Well, I don't like it when he kills random people, <laughs> myself, um, because it makes me fearful for my own life, and perhaps it's a bad thing in general. I don't know. Maybe we should have laws against it. Oh, wait, we don't want to put people in prison. That that seems like uh, uh, an imposition on their liberty. That's also bad. <laughs> so um, when when you see a character like Parker, what you see is sort of a pure goal-oriented, like, I want the money. But he doesn't really want the money, because what he does is he takes the money and he spends it basically as quickly as possible. And he's deluding himself in the same way that our hero here is, Malone. He's deluding himself about what he wants. He says he just wanted to see where his brother's uh, his brother was buried. That's not why he was there. Was he lying to himself? No, he was lying to them. Uh, why was he there? Uh, not clear, right? He, I think the true answer is he wanted to kill. And I think the true answer for Parker is that he doesn't want the money. He wants the action. He loves the... It's, it's, it's for the action. And that's so interesting because that's the reason we're reading it. We're, we want yeah. Parker to get in trouble because then he can find his way out of it. Go for it, Misa. Uh, well, for him here, Malone, he, he I, yeah, I agree. I think he wanted to find his brother's killer, but I don't. I think he bit off way more than he could chew because he, did, he didn't Fingers, like he didn't fall. have he didn't have the fury anymore to 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 deal. Like he didn't have the stomach for it. Like every time he had to kill somebody, he was like, oh, I have to kill another one, and he started feeling bad about it. Like it was a very interesting psychological. Feeling sorry for himself. <laughs> he's feeling sorry. Oh no, not enough, and now I have to kill the whole planet. Oh my oh, god, I need dinner. Like you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny because he's he's essentially a villain, but he also has to do other stuff like tie his shoes. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, get a nice meal, Talk right? Yeah, so it, it, it's spending time with the villain of a story um, while he's doing his villainous stuff. And there is no protagonist, right? There's no hero. Uh, <laughs> so um, the last... Well, uh, the, 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 there's no... The, I mean, I, I, I'd say he's an... I mean, I mean, a protagonist in, in the sense of directing the action or having the action directed on him. He, it, he is, even if he's a villainous protagonist. Yeah, you know, he definitely is a protagonist because he eventually wants something specific. Um, and I, I love the ending. I think the ending's really good. So I'm going to read that um, if nobody has any objections. Uh, according to the timers on and my watch, it would happen in two standard days, 18 hours and 23 minutes after my spacecraft lifted off Anarchaos. At that moment in time, the five suitcases would explode. Suddenly we're realizing, oh, shit, that's the reason he went on a planetary journey, stopping in every city, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, each with enough force to demolish a city block. So he's just going to kill a whole lot of people. Enough to topple, enough to one, topple of those. one of those towers, yeah. For the four, the four of the suitcases were hidden in four of the UC embassies in Chax, Ulix, Prudence, and Morogeth. The fifth was hidden in the spaceport at Nii. In less than three days, the entire personnel of the UC mission to Anarchaos would be wiped out. So he's actually getting revenge on the actual people who actually killed his brother. Let this planet uh, be like it is. Uh, records gone as well, as, and, 
and the heart of the monetary system and all of the equipment in the spaceport. I wasn't sure in which direction the UC would cut the red tape, <laughs> whether they would merely put out enti- uh, pull out entirely and leave anarchy chaos to rot in its own juices, or rather move in emphatically, take over full-time governing of the planet and replace its absurd anarchy, uh, interesting, with some protective government of its own. In either case, this colony at Anarchaos was dead. We were even. Alone in the blank uh, passenger compartment of the spaceship, this is how the story started as well, Um, I I, I sat a while in thought, and slowly boredom crept over me. The boredom of travel by shuttle. Until at last I took Gar's notebook from my pocket. Neither then nor later did I look at any of the sections in code. Instead, I opened it and re- to the remembered spot and, re- and began to read, Rolf, I'm going to ha- have a second chance. So um, mm. it's actually really interesting because it's, it's the only real relationship he has. Um, mm-hmm. right? The only person he respected, the only person he admired. Right. Yep. And so the motivation for him is super clear. The rest of all the shit that happens to him, it's like, why was Gar killed? Oh, because he found this thing, right? And what? Why are? Why is he being imprisoned? Why is he being treated this way? Oh, because they want him to extract, right? So there's a whole background plot going on, and you could almost make a reverse inversion of this, right? Uh, do it from the colonel's point of view, or the general's point of view or something like that, or the girl's point of view. Um, and it would be a whole different book because it's from the, from the other side. Um, but I think that, I think it's pretty good. I think, I, I, like I say, I don't think it's the classic of science fiction, but I think it's a pretty good book. I really liked it again for the second time, at least. <laughs> I suddenly had a thought with that ending. I was thinking of, uh, um, now the movie just went out of my head. Um, Pike Club. Yeah. We're, we're, hmm. we're, we're, yeah, where the protagonist blows up all the all the yeah. banks and credit card companies yeah. in order to another have political start book. Over again. Another right. very political book and movie. Yes. Um, and thinking about man's relationship to himself. <laughs> uh, yes. How, how how am I supposed to live now in this modern world with IKEAs? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a very philosophical film, and I haven't read the book, but I assume it's... it's I think there was a, a comic book sequel as well. Did you see that, Will? It's called uh, I Fight Club 2? I haven't seen the 2? comic book sequel of uh, Fight Club. Yeah. No. I, I've only seen the movie. Um, I mean, I think the... Uh, I mean, the actions definitely like remind me of the end of Fight Club, and it's like, it's like a similar sort of like philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. Like... Um, it's, it's about like, what I'm like yeah. And it's like what I'm doing is like, like a small group of violent people. Like it's not really about like, uh, like anarchism as such. Mm. Yeah. What do you, what do you make of the girls, uh, uh, veil P H A I L. What about fail? Fail and gar working for the same corporations on other planets would never have met one another across a loaded gun. I just think about the name, Fail. Is that Veil? Veil? Like a uh, covering over your face? I don't know. 
It's like a something hidden. I don't know. Uh, so, so you're suggesting there's a there's a metaphor there that like yeah, I mean the names uh, are weird. Gar, right? Yeah, Wolf. well, yeah. like the uh, the the veil metaphor is like, you know, in another society there's like the veil of rule of law that mm. like obscures like what the true relationship between these there people is. That's what I'm saying. Uh, but uh, you pull it out, like yeah, you pull the veil away, and this is like what the naked relationship is. It's just uh, you know. Uh, more chaotic on Anarchaos. When I look, uh, when, uh, when I had seen in Colonel Whistler's eyes, again, a name, right? Whistler. Uh, mm-hmm. The look I remembered from Vale. I had known at least there was no choice. Anarchaos was a cancer. And to merely snip off a few of the six cells was to do nothing. The entire cancer had to be rooted out and destroyed. Thus the suitcases. Um, <laughs> it, it, I also like... Um, uh, that pro- that promise I was talking about it's right at the beginning and it's referred to later on as well um, ro- uh, the voyages to seven planets so this is like the text the fake text that tells us about uh, the other planets in the UC system Valhalla and Cocaine um, uh, etc yeah, yeah it kind of reminds I mean, that little bit, except they would have been in a footnote, kind of reminds me of Jack Vance's space opera that way. Yeah, it, it's it's cool. Like, it's, or, yeah, in fact, we did one on this podcast. Um, the Moon Moth is the same yes. sort of setup. It's a mm-hmm. great planetary romance, right? Uh, if y'all haven't read that, it, it, you definitely need to, because it's about a planet full of people wearing masks all the time. And, and and dealing and dealing with dealing with an escaped convict, no mm-hmm. less. Yep, it's it's fun stuff. It's also a murder mystery. Um, I'm I'm very much in favor of it. And there was uh, something I came across um, when I was looking up cocaine again. I've looked it up a few times because I I really like it. I think it even gets mentioned. Uh, yeah, in um, the first Lego movie. You guys have seen that? What? Oh, yeah. It's fun stuff. So um, it's called Cloud Cuckoo Land. Um, uh, that's There's like a heaven above the... <laughs> I, I really love the Metist. That first Lego movie is really rather clever with the l- different framings and levels and interpreting what's going on. Like there's a giant cat or something in the story. Yeah. And, the, you know, the brother and sister. It's a, it's a very cool movie. Um, in any case, Cloud Cuckoo Land is sort of a, <laughs> a another version of a cocaine. It's like where everything's crazy, everything's upside down, and it's also fun. Um, so, <laughs> um, I was reading about uh, the land of cocaine, and um, it was really, really a popular genre in the uh, Middle Ages. <laughs> Scott, you're gonna dig this. You gotta dig it up. It's so funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> Basically, what happens is there's tons of monks, <laughs> all these young monks, and they really don't like the older monks. <laughs> so th- as they're learning Latin and learning to write, they start writing poems, um, and they're basically satirizing their lives <laughs> and making fun of their elders. So uh, there's a poem, uh, an example. Oh, this is a passage from The Land of Cocaine. Um <laughs> Middle English text is very hard to read, but I'm going to read it, and then I'll read you the translation, okay, because it's so funny. Um, Another abbey is thereby, 
forsoth a great fair nunarai, up a rear of sweet milk, where is plenty great of silk. What their summer is die is hot, the young nuns taketh a boat, and doth ham forth in the r- that rear, both with oars and with stir. When in when high beth for from the abai, high maketh ham naked photoply, <laughs> and lepeth dune in the into the brim, and doth ham slike for to swim. The young monketh that he seeth, he doth ham up, and for he feeth, fleeth, and cometh to the nurseth anon, nurses, nunes anon, and ich monk, and ich monk him taketh on, and snellich beareth forth her pry to mochil grai abai, and Taketh the nunin, nunins an ors isun <laughs> with iambulu up and dun. <laughs> the monk, the monk that will be stalin good and can set aright his hood, <laughs> he shall hab with otter danger twelve wives uch yer. <laughs> so, translation. There is another abbey nearby, a great nunnery, in fact, up a river of sweet milk, where there is great plenty of silk. When the summer's day is hot, the young nuns take a boat. Hot and boat used to rhyme. Hot and boat. Right? Um, and go forth on the river, rowing with oars and steering. When they are far from the abbey, they undress to play, and jump into the water, and swim secretly. Play secretly. Uh, the young monks who who see them get ready and start out and come to the nuns immediately. And each monk takes one for himself and carries his prey away quickly to the great abbey, great gray abbey, and teaches the nuns a prayer with their legs up and down in the air. The, monk, the monks that can be a good stallion and knows where to put his hood. Ha ha ha. He can easily have 12 wives each year. <laughs> so, basically... Well, that... <laughs> they're, they're being given the power of translation, the power of writing, the power of reading. What do they do instantly? They, re- they start making fun of these holy monks who are praying all day. Um, they didn't... Well, most of them didn't say, you know what I want to be? I want to be a monk. Some of them are like, God damn it, I'm a monk. Some of them are like, well, I guess it's better than, you know, plowing. <laughs> On the other hand, those nuns in that nearby abbey are quite sexy. <laughs> so the land of cocaine is is where, like, it rains cheese from the sky, right? All, all just good things happen all day, right? It's, it's like dream uh, utopia, but a, as a comedy reaction to sort of the difficulties um, so I want to go to that planet cocaine that is mentioned in in uh, in this book because I think it would be hilarious. It'd be such a difference from what we see here, sort of the dread and Valhalla. You know, like that's the place where they took his weapons away, right? Why yeah. did he not bring enough swords, <laughs> axes, <laughs> helmets? 
It's, it, uh, there's a lot of richness that went into this. He didn't just dash it off in a second and, uh, uh, you know, just trying to make cash. He loved the process, I think, of creation. I think it makes it really cool. I would have loved more novels set in this universe. Me too. Uh, I, and I don't that, – what's so cool is almost every planetary romance could be put into the same universe where you get some guy dropped on – you just say backward or forward in this universe. Jack Vance's yeah, and, 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 yeah, yeah, Moon Moth could fit adventure. in here, right? Yeah, yeah, or, or Jack Vance's Planet of Adventure where he lands on a planet, there's all these quasi-humans and aliens, and he has to get himself off, and it takes him four books to do it, <laughs> but he manages to do it. <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. not as complicated as I thought. Speaking of mixing oh. things together, uh, Scott, you, you're going to tell everybody your, your secret plan or... Is this a secret? <laughs> My secret plan? Yeah. The podcast plan? Mm. That was the plan. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna start another one. I'm gonna do a, a read along a month on a on another podcast. He's making it. He's making a podcast. A fresh making a podcast. Yeah. A fresh podcast. new podcast. A new one. Because yeah, because it's not like there aren't any other podcasts out there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there's not. That's there's right. not very many read along podcasts for how good they are. No, there really isn't. And yeah, I, I really want to do one more a month. Um, and I thought I'd well, the best way to do that. I was thinking about doing it on YouTube. No, 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 no. Those no, things no. are excruciating to watch. You know, when you have somebody do. A read along like we just did on YouTube. You don't They're need just to watch very it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's one of the things I learned in the short time I've been on there. I don't know if I'm going to keep the YouTube thing or not. Um, but the the uh, it's really superficial there. I mean the, the the talking about books is very quick and um, you know very high level. Um, not not in depth, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, oh, so what's your atmospheric going to be? Yeah. It's just going to be um, I'm going to do a read along. It'll be me, and then I'm going to have a guest. So once a month, I'll invite a guest to come on and uh, do a read along with me. Of any specific genre or anything? No, no I'm going to be anything. Anything. Be anything. anything. Well, if, if 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 you if you come across a book that might be of interest to me, I'd be happy to be a guest on your oh, podcast. Thank you so much. Absolutely, I would love that. Yeah. So I'm um, going to start it. Jesse has agreed to be the first guest on. Uh, <laughs> of course, that oh, the reunion tour. Yes. We just have right. to figure out a book. Right. Right. Oh, I'm sure you guys could buy the book. <laughs> That's the easiest thanks, problem. Thanks, Paul, and all you guys. I would love to have you on there. Um, yeah, we yeah, could do cool David Graeber's book with, bring, with bring Evan. Books that interested <laughs> in that. That? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, no, wow, that would be a book. Have, have some heavy. Uh, it's good I have the audio book, actually. Someone that during the uprising posted it. It's like kind of a thematic thing. Yeah, definitely. Maybe I deleted them. 
Somebody needs Could to teach my recycling bin. If, if this wasn't it, I need to. <laughs> I don't understand. Well, Graber's sort of an anarchist, but the books, um, I don't think really. I mean, there's subtext, but it's just it's a really like good kind of introduction right? to. Yeah, he he kind of deconstructs a lot of economic, like econ 101 bits. By looking actually at how people actually functioned in societies. Did we like, cover your your uh, your save it for the podcast tweet on the show? Yeah, mostly. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I don't remember reading it. Uh, I I was like, uh, well, I, I didn't. It didn't have to be read. I, I no, no, no. Like, I like I, I, I'm not sure. I actually read it because I wanted to. I wanted to hear it on the podcast. I, oh. uh, you you often send me very long direct messages. And I'm like, this should be on the podcast. Because it's interesting. <laughs> right? Yeah, but I'm shy. You are shy, and you shouldn't be because uh, it's, you know, all that's, it's like uh, Lovecraft's uh, letters are really, really, some of them are. The, did you hear the latest Voluminous one? It was so interesting. I have been listening to it because I'm trying to get into the, the letters now. Well, the thing is, is their the analysis is terrible. It's just because uh, what's, they're actors. <laughs> <laughs> is this is it the same group the like the, yeah HPLHS HP Lovecraft literary yeah. Pod- yeah no no HPLHS um is different from the literary podcast literary podcast they're actors too and their analysis isn't okay. great either but they're funny and and more importantly they talk about uh interesting stories uh which mm-hmm. is interesting um but uh the HPLHS guys HP Lovecraft Historical Society they make the audio dramas um and oh yeah. And there's two guys. Uh, one of them's gay. The other one's not gay. I think they're really good friends. And they, one of them narrates the story, uh, the letter. And then the other one, well, they both then talk about the letter and why they looked it up. And I find they're less Lovecraft scholars and philosophers than they are enthusiasts, right? Um, so their analysis is like, they be- sometimes believe that Lovecraft's like uh, lying when I don't think he is. I think he's he's just really is that yeah. weird, um, and that's funny <laughs> because you would think that they'd be no, expert the on him. I've been, I've been reading about forty a day because I'm trying to get us. Because I figure if I'm going to be stuck in China, I should finally fucking write that book, the Innsmouth Look book. Yeah, um, and, and we got to get an audio book. So trying to read like forty for letters a day from the selected letters yeah. and the Howard letters. A lot of them in the selected letters, they're a bridge. They're already kind of cut down. They just kind of turn left, and those guys already sucked out the meat. <laughs> I guess we're missing a lot of good stuff in there, too. Well, actually. I have uh, – there are other letters books, too. Like, I just got uh, – Yeah, this year. I got the Howard ones. I don't have – No, but there's – um. It's almost impossible to be. There's uh, – I'm tr- uh, I want to turn away and look for it. But um, I, there's a one, two – was it Sonia Green? No, it wasn't Sonia Green. It was another of the lady collaborators. Um, that mm-hmm. th- apparently those were all. F- they mentioned this on Voluminous. They somebody was in the garage and they found a tin, and inside the tin were a whole bunch of letters. And somebody at the dinner. They mentioned this at a dinner party, and uh, and somebody at the table knew who Lovecraft was, and they said you sh- you really need to con- contact uh, somebody about this, and they contacted yeah. the HPLHS people who printed it up. And so these are all new story, new letters never seen before. Oh, cool. Um, very, very cool. Yeah. 
Um, and that's, uh, so just listening to his letters, uh, it's like, this is what he was actually doing and thinking. And he had one recently that was like him gets, he's in the bathtub, Lovecraft's in the bathtub, having a good scrub, playing, splashing around. He says, <laughs> rubber ducky. Nice, doesn't say rubber ducky, but I imagine no one there. And, uh, and he, he gets a call, phone call. Um, and he says to his aunt or whoever it is, who is it? And, uh, and he gets the name. So he gets out of the bathtub, doesn't want to get out of the bathtub, but he will get out of the bathtub for this guy. Goes, answers the phone. It's his great friend from childhood who's a lawyer now. And the friend says, Hey, I was thinking we should go, uh, visit our old childhood haunts. And he says, Absolutely. <laughs> and he runs out the door and they go visit their old childhood, uh, tar paper shack. Uh, and are surprised to see it's unchanged. And then he waxes poetic about it's, it's like, it's beautiful. It's like the writing yeah. is beautiful. The emotion is beautiful as like the fact that this is locked away in a letter, uh, that nobody's going to read <laughs> except for these guys on this podcast. It's so cool, right? It's, it's, so, it's like this is, it's a kind of litter, like, I remember when I first heard about people reading books of letters. I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with you? There's novels in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, this is amazing because this is uncensored, just rambling by super smart, interesting people who read a lot of books. So you want that. That's what a podcast is, essentially, right? Well, mm-hmm. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> no, I super smart systematically people. has been really... Um, useful because before i sort of mine them for like the race stuff Mm -hmm. i mine them for the class stuff so you know when you do that you get these long letters he'll write to like long that will be frank for some reason it's really interesting like they're like the people he talks to about the race stuff like either they're kind of already on board his views or they're like long someone younger than him who he's kind of you know can kind of lecture to a little bit but, you know, a lot of his other letters, just talking about him touring Providence and seeing this neighborhood he didn't see before or whatever, they, they're, they're quite brilliant. That's, a, that's how I feel them. about Will. I, I, I'm your grandpa, Will. <laughs> that's what Lovecraft always called himself to anybody older. <laughs> yeah. Listen. Like all the long letters, yeah. Listen to your grandpa. old grandpa. <laughs> wait like hp lovecraft referred to himself as your old grandpa yes well just grandpa yeah yes wow. it, like, it's really weird long. and yeah, uh, yeah anybody younger than him basically but uh it uh, it's really the psychology is amazing because his grandpa was his dad essentially right his oh. his grandpa raised him uh, with his aunts after his mom died his dad died when he was a baby his mom died when he was a teenager um, and his grandpa's library was everything, right? So um, it, it is hilarious that he's like three or four years older than people and calling himself grandpa. But it, 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 what's so cool about Lovecraft is that it's like almost we have a person captured, right, in, a, in all these letters and all these the stories where he's basically – He's uh, yeah, Evan. You were asking about the Sonia. Uh, no, who, who's the uh, lady? Eddie. Eddie. Oh, uh, C.M. Eddie. Right. Uh, I was thinking C.M. Yeah. Eddie Junior's wife. Um, 
I, I, I don't remember. Re- I, I looked at the list of stories that CM Eddie and he collaborated on and, uh, the ones that are on the website and I've read all of them and I only remember one of them at all. Um, and that's the one that the I necrophilia think, one. The necrophilia one is, it is the funniest thing. <laughs> I mean, maybe you guys have different tastes than my, than me, but the fact that he's, he's basically compelled to kill people so he can have sex with their dead bodies is the funniest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> I think it's called The Love Dead. The Love Dead, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's so Who funny. Wrote this? Lovecraft and CM Eddie Jr. Okay. Dude, but so like so the funny. book, I have the the book of the revisions, and they say like, oh, there were four we couldn't get rights for, and they're like, or five they couldn't get rights for, and there were the Eddie stories, and then one of the, the long one. I'm pretty sure. And they say, well, yeah. But then they they add this is just the editors of that. It's a public domain book online. Yeah. It says, I, oh, luckily these are the ones that Lovecraft seemed to have the least like a touch on, which. I'm not sure about it. Seems the Sonya Green ones he didn't really do too much with either, but I don't know if that was a cop out because they couldn't get the rights and they just wanted to say Deaf, dumb this is why blind. we didn't include I, them. I don't think I but, finished that one. That's not. Amazing. I don't know if I. You know, I should probably do them. I should probably you talk did, about them definitely just to be complete. And there, I, I kind of skipped. Love them. Dead is amazing. It's Ghost Eater. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember that one. I think it was stupid. Ashes uh, again. I can't even remember that one at all. Um, CM Eddie can be okay on him on his own as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's not, he's not the great shakes, but uh, love dead. I swear there are some parts that have to be written by Lovecraft just the way I did that or somebody so masterful at capturing his voice, but mm. the, the, Oh, and actually now that I think about it, um, CM Eddie has his own sort of, uh, Arkham cycle. Mm. Um, and a couple of the stories are in that, um, including the love dead. So like there's a city named somewhere in Massachusetts and, uh, it comes, that name comes up again in another one of these CM Eddie stories. So he's doing like his own mini Lovecraft thing along with Lovecraft's help. Oh, the other thing I need to find, cause I came across in the letters is like, I know under the pyramids was a, he wrote that for Houdini, mm-hmm. but apparently there was a series of debunking articles well there's a new a newly found um the cancer of superstition um mm-hmm. and that was like sold at auction i assume that it's going to get cancer of superstition um that's uh, so apparently it was published in a very brief uh cut down version and then the the larger version uh, yeah, typescript, typewritten manuscript sold for at auction for thirty three thousand six hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. So oh. The, presumably, that's presumably that's going to come out. Um, somebody will package that up and sell it. He mentions working on several, researching several like debunking articles. Yeah, and then Houdini dies. Or I think Houdini. so. Yeah, I I, I assume that oh, that's uh, it, it's going to be kind of be like. Supernatural horror and literature, but as as kind of vague, covering all of the bullshit that Houdini was yeah. covering, right? I mean, he's he's when he talks about the revisions, he seems to be fairly humble. So, like he says, oh, but he's always up. humble. That's the funny part, right? Yeah. Is that I mean, it's it's maybe a false humbleness, 
like Westlake is sort of flexing, right? When he's saying, oh, this is a good thing. But I think he's also confirming to himself that he's a good writer. And then he goes on to have a very solid career writing and selling basically everything. Uh, Scott, yeah, you saw that uh, Westlake wrote a James Bond novel. He did? Yeah. 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 And the only reason it didn't get uh, published is because it was supposed to be a James Bond movie. Um, and then they turned down his script or something. So he just filed off the James Bond name and, uh, turned it into a, a book. And then that, it didn't sell for whatever reason. Maybe he had to wait a certain amount of time. And then he had so many books in the drawer. Um, you know, it, it's hard to keep track of them all. The, there's a Westlake website that, um, has a, a pretty decent list, and it's huge, right? The number of novels he produced is amazing. It's uh, maybe two or three a year for 40 years, 50 years. Wow. I don't know. I'm guessing. But I've read a ton of them, and they're all pretty good. Even even the ones <laughs> that are sort of okay. Is, you know, that was worth reading. I'll read the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Scott, yep. if you're going to start a new podcast, you have to be very careful in the first episode to set the tone. You don't want to throw people oh, off, right? Right. So I, have to yeah, think I, about- feel, I feel that anger should be the tone. <laughs> <laughs> that would be you? popular. <laughs> Angry? Well, you are inviting Jesse on. <laughs> what are you, you going to get angry about, guys? Oh, uh, <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, good science fiction. How's that? Uh, a short, a short fiction. story, or are you going to go with a novel? I was just thinking um, of, of the timing. Would, I might need to check to see how much yeah, time I have to, to see what you what it is that you want to do. So, well, uh, how about what we want to do? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. But uh, <clears throat> yeah. you know, something not fifteen hours long would probably be good. Okay, cool. Just because if I have another. Two shows that week, it might be hard. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Okay. So, uh, I guess we're done. <laughs> I can, yeah, I guess we're done. I All can right. press stop. Um, you, you can go, I'll go about everybody. your business. What's next week? Uh, next week, Star Hunter. Question. Star Hunter? Let me look. Star Hunter. <clears throat> Andrew Norton. I don't know if I'm in that. Let me look. I can't remember. I'm in the Lost World book. Uh, it, it has an F, Evan question mark after it. Oh, it so, do, would you like to be on? It's a uh, probably six hours, seven hours, something like that. Sunday? Yeah, it's. I'm looking it up. I don't remember. I think I work Sunday. Oh really? Well, it's our Sunday, Maybe, so it's your Monday, right? You know, it's. I, I think I work my Sunday and Monday. It is. We have a long weekend, but they wow, it's short. It's only three. Week. Three hours, 43 minutes. That's super short. Three hours and 35 minutes according to Audible, yeah. Yeah. That's easy. Maybe. can knock that out in a day easily. Okay, I'm going to take the question mark away, and then I will send it to you, and if you don't show up, it's not the end of the world. All right. Yeah? And, yeah, okay. Definitely the Jarell Jewelry story and the... When is that? The lost book one. Oh, the Black God's Kiss, right? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, 
how do you like westerns? <laughs> I think I already said I'd do the western. Did you? Oh yeah, you're there. Yeah. Okay. Um, the coming race, I'm interested in that too. Misa, you interested in in Edward Buller, Bulwer and Lytton? Please, please do the coming race with us, Misa. The coming race? When is that? Uh, yeah, that's the one I'm thinking about. The next that's the one I'm trying to talk my wife into. But oh, yeah. there. Uh, let's see. What's tough? I don't know much about it. Published what's anonymously it? in 1871. Some readers have believed it. In the earth and like they're, but it's like a philosophical novel. Yes. It's like the it's a foundation of modern occultism, but the idea is that these people who live like in the hollow earth called like the Vril and like they have this energy that we can learn how to like harness. Oh, cool. Okay, sure. All right. Uh how long is that one? It says 292 pages. I guess that's a Let novel. Let me I can look at the uh audiobook on Yeah, if it uh, if it exists. Oh, you know, it exists on Oh, good. Box. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm adding Misa to it. There we go. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's, it's a little bit longer. It's six hours and fifty-five minutes. That's still totally totally readable. And I don't think um, there's any movies associated. I I didn't look up the Untamed. There's probably five or six uh, black and white movie versions of it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was the first in a series, um, and that's seven and a half hours. It looks like the Untamed. Yeah, it sounds really fun. Um, it's got uh, a horse that's like uh, got a scary name, like Tornado or something like that. And I think that's a- Zorro's horse. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. That is Zorro's horse, and uh, he's got a dog that might be a werewolf. Oh, uh, and uh, the the bad guy has no emotions. Oh. That's that sounds like The Witcher. <laughs> um, probably a little better than The Witcher's, my guess. <laughs> I, I think that the Western and like like a certain genre of sword and sorcery are like basically the same kind of story. Yeah, and and there's some novels that makes me um, think that, that kind of explore that sort of western in the secondary world fantasy there's not a lot scott there's the, there's some that actually work that connection um i'm trying to think i know um joe abercrombie did one i can't remember the name of like red dust or something like that scott where have you read a- uh breckenridge elkins this makes me think um that'd be a really good first episode of a show okay Brecken- um, breckenridge Brecken- <laughs> this is uh yeah, uh, Robert E. Howard. Um, okay. Breckenridge Elkins is a fictional. Ca- I, I think this is the guy. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, oh, Mountain Man. That's what it's called. This first story. Okay, so Breckenridge um, Elkins. Uh, that, I think that's a different character, but similar. Mountain Man. This is from Action Stories. It's very short, super funny. Um, pretty sure this is the one. It's a. Uh, <laughs> um, I was robbing a bee tree when I heard my old man calling, Brackenridge, oh Brackenridge, where are you? I see you now. You don't need to climb that tree. I ain't going to LARP you. (laughs) He come up and said, Brackenridge, ain't that a bee setting on your ear? I reached up and sure enough, it was. Come to think about it, I had felt kind of like something was stinging me somewhere. I swear... I swan, I swear, 
think that's an R. I swear, Brackenridge. Swar. <laughs> Swar. Pop. I've never seen a hide like yarn. <laughs> Maybe we should get Will to do the audiobook. Maybe I'm making <laughs> yeah. fun of Will's accent. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you're you making go. fun of my accent, but uh, there's certainly. Uh, uh, I feel like that that's like a related. Uh, uh, whatever ethnicity that is, it's related to mine. Like, yeah. okay, <laughs> so uh, it's it is Breckenridge Jelkins. Um, introducing the famous Breckenridge Elkins of Hard Rock County. Uh, sir, the first man, uh, the first and foremost, what a man of 1934. He was raised on a, on bar meat, <laughs> bear meat, and, bar and meat. panther milk, <laughs> and strong men hunt a hideout when it's his night to howl. Um, and Who so this milk? is. Like panthers for milk, or was he like raised by panthers? Yeah, it's it's really funny. So basically, his dad says you need to go to town and mail a letter, um, and he does, and he gets into like a a, a boxing contest. Um, Rowdy Howard is just amazing writer, um, and this is have a have a read of this, Scott. I think it's really funny, and it's pretty okay. short. It's like a half hour or yeah, so. Yeah. Um, but it's a whole series of books or st- stories. Um, and there's a novel, a gent from Bear Creek. Oh, maybe it's just a co- the collection. Oh, it says Breck, Breck Ellen Elkins is a hillbilly from Bear Creek, a fictional location in the Humboldt mountains of Nevada. Okay. So it's not quite, uh, Will's territory. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's, it's related, right? Like, yeah. I mean, like, like the, the, the like- country folk. Yeah, like the, and like the Appalachian settler stock, like mm. you know, like moves west too. It doesn't just like stop, mm-hmm. them, right? Like, mm-hmm. like there's a reason. Mighty that, of like, stature and small of brain. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like like standard hillbilly literature, uh, like Little Abner, right? I am going hiking today, so I will not go to Tudor today. Okay. <laughs> He's going hiking. Um, yeah, um, uh, totally, and uh, you know. Oh, what was it? Um, Rar- uh, somebody was saying on it was probably uh, Mark Finn was saying that Howard wrote uh, hundreds and hundreds of stories, right? Um, mm-hmm. And twenty three of them are, are Conan stories. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. people only know him basically for Solomon mm-hmm. Kane, which is like six stories, and twenty three yeah. uh, Conan stories, and there's like I don't know a dozen Cull stories. Um, and there's a huge, vast collection of non that Robert E. Howard available. Do you know a Joe R. Lansdale's thesis on Conan? Mm, I don't think so. No. Um, he says that Conan is an East Texas oil man. Like that's like <laughs> the the archetype that like like yeah. he's like an oil worker. Yeah, Just, yeah. Um, He's like, you know, transported to the Hyperborean age, and like that—that's the personality that's being portrayed there. Like, yeah, those, like, yeah, no, I mean, the the, the hills of um, Samaria are the hills of East Texas, right? Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, did you see his TV show uh, that was brief and got canceled? Happen Leonard. Happen Leonard. Yeah. I watched the. Um, I definitely watched. I think we watched the first one or two seasons and really yeah. enjoyed them, I think but it, then like it got canceled. Got, yeah, well, we we got like hung up like in like one of the seasons we were watching and haven't ever finished it. Mm. Uh, but I, I liked the show. Yeah, it was um, a good show. I just am bad at, yeah, I'm bad at finishing shows. 
Well, shows are too long. Even the ones that are short are too long. I'm watching one that's actually really good. Uh, my mom recommended, which is usually a bad thing because she and I do not share tastes and stuff most of the time. Um, it's called Animal Factory. It's based on uh Australian movie. I, I think it was a TNT show, which I, of course, I never haven't watched anything from TNT. I didn't even know TNT was still going. Yeah, but, that's like a, it's a surprise, right? <laughs> right. It is a surprise. But actually, it's a, it's a pretty good show. It seems to be set in California. Um, and it's basically uh, a criminal family. Uh, the mom of the main character dies from an overdose. He's very, um, I, I want to say jaded, but jaded makes it sound like he has emotions. He's basically, he's indifferent to the fact that his mom just died because, well, seemingly indifferent because his whole life has been, you know, difficult because of his mom being a drug addict. Anyways, he's a teenager and he moves in with his grandma and the grandma is sort of the queen of a crime empire uh, that her sons run. So his uncles and uh, it's, it's got a lot of the manipulative TV stuff that I don't like, but it's hidden mostly by it being pretty good. <laughs> What's the name of the show? Again? It's called Animal F- Animal Factory. Animal Factory. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it's on Netflix uh, in Canada, anyways. Uh, it's at least three seasons long, and it's uh, I'm like it's, so. There was a show called our movie called I think it's called Animal Factory. Uh, maybe it's TV show. I'm seeing. I remember. I, I asked my mom. Is, isn't uh, it's that's a movie uh, starring Willem Dafoe and Edward Furlong. Where Willem Dafoe says, "We're in prison. You're my girlfriend," <laughs> to, to Edward Furlong, and Edward Furlong's, "I I don't want to be your girlfriend." He says, "Well, your choice is me or that guy." <laughs> and he points to, uh, what's his name, um, the guy who always plays bad guys in the movies, uh, Danny Trejo. <laughs> Danny Trejo. Oh God. <laughs> so you want Willem Dafoe as your boyfriend? Or do you want Danny Trejo as your f- boyfriend? Uh, neither, sir. <laughs> but you have to choose. Uh, so it's a, kind of a scary movie, but th- I think that that's unrelated to this show. So maybe I'm getting the uh, TNT, TNT series. What the heck? Animal Kingdom. That's why. I got it. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Animal, Animal Kingdom. Kingdom. Yeah. That makes more sense. Um, and, uh, Ellen Barkin. You remember her from a million years ago in the movies? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's she's the matriarch of this fucked up family. <clears throat> um, w- very well done. Um, nobody here is the hero. <laughs> the cops are not the heroes. The characters are all not the heroes. Um, it's and everybody has secrets and problems and like so. I don't like any of that stuff where they've they've got you know. Is sort of writing techniques <laughs> that I can see. I can see them here, but they're uh, sort of muted a little bit by the by the storytelling, which is pretty good. So it's not like the most brilliant show ever, but they're basically surfer criminals who do their own jobs and fuck up people's lives, <laughs> including surfer their criminals? own. Surfer criminals? That sounds like Point Break. Yeah, it's kind of like that, except the FBI has uh, a role in that, and this the cops are just assholes. Oh, okay. 
everybody everybody's an asshole they're just assholes to different degrees i guess mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's well done it's not westlake level of quality of crime I'll do any Westlake you say, Scott. (laughs) 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 Maybe under an English heaven or uh, there's a. uh, You know what? That's a really good idea. Or a Lawrence Block. Or a Lawrence Block. I'd I'd even probably read that Brothers Keepers in paper if you, if you. uh, Oh really? If we couldn't. Well, I mean, damn, it's Westlake, yo. Yeah, I know it. (laughs) I'd have to get a copy, of course. Yeah, for sure. But okay. Yeah, I brought. Yeah, maybe a good one. That sounds really good for a start. I'd have to buy a copy because um, I'm mm-hmm. not going to read it. And uh, uh, maybe it might be in my local store, but I could buy it online as well. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Breckenridge. Breckenridge. <laughs> Evan. Uh, Breckenridge. Not, Evan doesn't have any accent, but uh, <laughs> for uh, our purposes. But I think, uh, Will, if you want to do an audiobook, why don't you do Yeah, I, that's, that's going to be my. Uh, like, that, here's how I'm going to get uh, a popular is um, I'm going to do, like, uh, hillbilly exploitation audiobooks and, like... <laughs> oh, like, my God. And, and like, so, so I'll do the hillbilly exploitation audiobooks and I'll, like, do my best uh, to, like, really, like, you know, bring out... Lay it the, on. Like, yeah. And um, we'll see if that, like, you know, like, the idea is, like, that you'll get popular if there's, like, a lot of people that, like, hate you. Uh, <laughs> like that helps you. Like, like that's how. Like, well, that's uh, how like, it works in Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah, it sure it's, does. Um, it, it's like, uh, I mean, a long time ago, like you know, back before uh, the internet was what it was, like there was already this phenomenon of trolling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, it it's feels like, now. That, like <laughs> it's an art again? form. Now. It's a, a high level art form now. Well, and it's just like people from the mainstream of society engage in like trolling and like getting trolled on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if people think about it that way, but you've got a troll for president right now. So, well, oh, I mean, totally. And like, the, I mean, the whole thing is like, if I'm a troll and I like tell you your hair's green, like, uh, depending on the size of my platform, like it really like the best thing to do is ignore me telling you that your hair is green if it's not green. Right. Right. But uh, now we live in this weird world where it's like hard to say what the right thing to do is. Mm. Yeah. So uh, uh, Oliver Wyman just quit uh, Twitter like aggressively, <laughs> like fuck this shit. And then he sent it, sent me a direct message saying, "I'm gonna the only one of the few things I'm gonna miss from Twitter is your your tweets." Uh, and mostly he likes the comic book tweets, you know. Like, uh, anyways, uh, I used to yeah. do a lot more of them. But, um, <laughs> so he says, here's my email in case uh, you want to contact me. But yeah, it's one response to Twitter is to quit it. And I understand that. Uh, Scott, you've done that before, right? Done what again? Say, quitting quit, quit Twitter. Oh, yeah. Quitting the Twitter. I mean, yeah. I, I, I quit Facebook before I basically signed up for it <laughs> because it sounded stupid yeah. to me. Uh, but Twitter sounded stupid to me. And obviously, I like, I like it. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, what are we going to do about it? I guess we just have to learn. It's like uh, it's what when gin came in. When they invented gin, everybody started drinking gin, and they didn't know how to deal with it. Now we know how to deal with gin. Mm-hmm. We better- I mean, kind of right. Like the uh, the I mean, the alcohol companies like most of their like like the super majority of the like uh, like units of alcohol that are mm-hmm. sold are to like people who are like problem drinkers. Yeah, alcoholics. 
Yeah, 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 right. Like, and that's, like, so, I mean, like, that's, like, still how we use gin. Like, yes, the majority of the gin gets used. There were more, there were more gin drinkers uh, at the period, right, that were kind yeah, of yeah, public yeah. trouble. It, it, I, I think right now, uh, marijuana is much more, and, like, vaping is going crazy. Like, the amount of vaping that's happening as a, like... Uh, if you look at the number, I'm, I'm I'm making an imaginary graph with my hands. Now that's a Westlakeism, right <laughs> yeah, there. Okay, let me see that. <laughs> here's the x axis, <laughs> and here's the y axis, and here's the curve, right? So you show smoking sort of in a steady decline with jumps and bumps, right? And then suddenly, uh, you know, the e-cigarette is invented a little while ago, and then uh, 20 years later, uh, vaping, what? vertical line, <laughs> it's gone straight up. And well, how did that happen? Well, because we've have all these instincts and behaviors and cultural uh, taboos against and for smoking uh, cigarettes and cigars, and then vaping whoop, straight up. And it's I don't think we're anywhere near the top of the curve on that. Well, I think, I think there's also like a nihilist appeal to vaping, right? Like, um, like there's like the like oh I gotta quit smoking appeal to it, but like you know I'm thinking about like you know like. Like the young people, like people. Evan, who are, are you like, a vapor? Me? me? Uh, Evan, yeah, because I know you're a cigarette smoker. No, right? just 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 regular cigarettes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, keep like going. The, Sorry, like, I feel I like the young people and the, and the alcohol too. Yeah, you're talking about the problem. <laughs> the gin. My 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 cases of beer just came in today. <laughs> cases. What do you drink? Whatever is cheap cases. <laughs> I buy online on the Chinese apps, so it varies what's the cheapest. Mm. But it's always yeah, but German stuff. I think the Germans must have some deal to dump their excess beer on China, on the Chinese market, because there's always cheap German beer. Hmm. Sorry, uh, I interrupted Yeah, everybody talks flow, about though. steel dumping. Nobody talks about beer dumping. <laughs> <laughs> no, all these vices, I, I think you're talking about. Yeah, but I, I think the vaping, it's like, you, 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 you like, they're like going to the kids and being like, oh, you know, Juul, that has like 23 times the like nicotine of a cigarette. And like kids are like, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> I have no future. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, um, True story. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Vaping, I don't think it's going anywhere, but it's probably going to just destroy everybody's lungs in ways we haven't fully imagined yet. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think it Probably. it 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 mm. okay. It causes so I guess I'm gonna norms. see you guys yeah. the whole next Sunday. Yeah. yeah, sounds good. All right, have a good rest of your day, everybody. You too, Paul. Take care. Right. You oh. too. You too, Paul. Hi, Paul. Good to see you. Cool. You too. So, Jesse, did you check out She-Ra yet? <laughs> I did. I started Pretty watching solid. it. No, I have was you watched like, it all? There was, I watched all of it. Yeah, I watched, I've only watched like seven episodes. Yeah, it's the once you get to the third. We're getting a little clunky here with the sound. So you gotta kind of look at it. Like they kept to kill robots instead of people. No, I, 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 I got to the part where there's a whole bunch of princesses, and I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> the one who said you gotta. It was bothering me to watch it, so I binged it. Princess of the say? Power? Yes. Yeah. I, I think I mean, I'm not the target market for it. 
I don't know. I I think it was really solid. I think. Yeah, I mean, Shira was always super gay, and I'm glad it's just like out there now. 